I am Michael Stackpole, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast. Hey, this is Uatu, huh? And uh, too bad for you. I do listen to the Order 66 podcast, huh? I have uh, three words for you. Dilution of identity, huh? Google it. You'll be hearing from my lawyer, Boba Dershowitz. <laughs> what do you know? D20 Radio, where gamers roll. www.d20radio.com Broadcast live on D20 Radio's Justin TV channel. You're listening to the Order 66 podcast. Brought to you by Gamer Nation Studios, D20 Radio, and MapsOfMastery.com. Is up the game. Whoa, zipper. Who's zipping something? Keith, is that you? Hey, what's up, man? You're zipping something. Yeah, no, I apologize. You got a loud mic. See, this is this is professional podcasting at its finest. What are we doing here, man? What are you doing here, man? Oh, this I is... am clearly. It's just all amateur night. It's, you know, you it... know what? It's amateur night, and you know those Chicagoans' freaking <laughs> attitudes. <laughs> Hey, you know I had to close a window. What are you going to do? <laughs> uh, no, my, my roommate was getting noisy. I figured we could have one noise now or we might have several later. I, I went for one now. <laughs> this is very This thankful. might be the high water mark, so don't complain yet. You know, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm there. Well, for, for those who maybe want to be complaining later, you can complain to The Order 66 Podcast. What is up, Gamer Nation? GM Chris here, and this is a, a rather crazy start to episode 37 of the Order 66 podcast. And if you are tuning in for the very first time, this is the original podcast entirely devoted to Star Wars role playing. And I am joined tonight uh, by my my wonderful co-host, uh, GM Phil. Dude, you haven't said a word yet. Maybe it's because of the zipper. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I figured why add to the chaos? I can just bring my own when the time comes. You never have a problem adding to the chaos. Don't give us that nonsense. Oh, no, I don't have a problem adding to it. I just don't like, you know, layering over on top of it and cutting it off. Uh, uh, okay. The, oh, so you were kind of trying to give the chaos gravitas, presence. You were trying exactly. to n- not to interrupt it. Give it its Dude. own space, its own area to, like, you know, be. I don't disagree with this. That's Okay, that's that's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. So it is you a, can't You can't <clears throat> rein in chaos. Well, you can try, but you would not be successful. Not true. That's true. And it is uh, it is September sixth of uh, 2014. Um, so we are, are joined for this amazing episode by the Chicagoan who was gracing us with his zippered presence earlier. <laughs> um, Bastion and one half of the amazing duo that is Fandom Comics, uh, longtime friend of the network, and now freelancer for Fantasy Flight Games and the Star Wars role playing system, Mister Keith Capel. What's hey, up, guys. dude? What's up, man? Look- Living the dream every day, dude. It's awesome. Every I'm day. doing great. <laughs> hey. I'm doing great. How are you? Uh, well, now that you asked. I... Oh, it took a sad turn. 
you know, I've been, you know, my goldfish died, and and it's hard, you know, dude. It's, it's hard, man. It's I'm just, there for you. It's just hard. Thank you. I, Things, know. I mean, I, I just saw you at Gen Con, and you were great. But it sounds like uh, it sounds like you've been going through a rough patch. I'm, I'm sorry to hear that, bro. Manic depression. It hurts us all. Uh, it sounds bipolar. It was a quick swing. Yeah. <laughs> you were riding high on Gen Con just just a few short weeks ago. Well, riding high is what I do. Oh. Or at least try. Mm. <laughs> well, we are going to be riding high tonight. And because we got you on here, you crazy bastard, we are going to uh, prepare for a long show. Oh, very well. <laughs> but um, it might be apropos if we get started, maybe uh, with a, a little bit longer than normal, but necessary uh, number of announcements. Yes, Phil? Announcements? Yes, yes. Without the zipper. Yee! No zipper. I'll, I'll allow it. No zipper. Hello there. What have we here? Good news. <laughs> ah, the winds of change. Um, so, uh, to kick off our announcements, we have a happy, sad announcement. <clears throat> First and foremost... For years now, ye- literal year. How many years has it been, Phil? I mean, good God, I don't even know. Good grief! It's been what four years? They've been going three. I uh, that sounds right. I, I, I guess. Well, the D twenty Radio Network has been for all this time graced by a very good podcast in our ranks. Uh, it's become one of the pillars of the community. Threat detected, helmed by the inestimable Garrett Crow, aka Barefoot Tour Guide who from day one has continued to inspire me with his enthusiasm and his drive and his creativity. Um, That podcast, Threat Detected, has brought us some just scores of hilarious live play Star Wars gaming shows, Uh, exciting guest conversations. Keith, you've been on Threat Detected. It's true. And actually, uh, Threat Detected has been a a big fan of uh, fandom comics for a while, too, a big friend of the site. They've... uh... They use a lot of our fan content in uh, a number of their live play sessions from the Clone Wars fan source books. So, exactly. Yeah, Garrett's always been good people. He is good people. Well, recently, Garrett shared with us an amazing opportunity for Threat Detected, who really kind of hot on the heels of Garrett's bid for a 2015 Any Judge spot. They were contacted by another rather good podcast network, the Misdirected Mark Podcast Network. And Misdirected Mark asked Threat Detected to come to their network, reformat their show, reboot it, and become the sole podcast devoted to all Star Wars gaming and coverage on that network. Um, this, this was an amazing opportunity for Garrett and Threat Detected, and we wholeheartedly encouraged him to go for it. I mean, opportunities like that do not come along every day. So, happy, sad... Threat Detected will be evolving, Gamer Nation, into a new show, and they need our support for this endeavor. Garrett and company will be producing one final episode in their old format and then switching to a brand new feed. We will be keeping you all informed of the details on where that is, and I, for one, cannot wait to hear the new show. So to Garrett and the rest of the Threat Detected guys, huge congratulations, and can't wait to see the new show. So, yay! Congrats, dude! Dude, that's awesome. It's awesome. awesome. That's freaking awesome. I'm so happy for them. Um, 
But as one stellar live play podcast exits the pub, punch drunk with big smiles, well wishes, fist bumps, hugs, and a bright future ahead, another one staggers in, confident, ready to belly up to the bar and game like it's nobody's business. And we at D20 Radio are proud to introduce the brand newest member of the D20 Radio Network, another live play podcast, The Gathering of Dorks. <laughs> this this is an awesome live play show. The hilarious Jamie, uh, who's a longtime alum poop grinder on the forums, uh, sure. Blaine and Chris, they helm this really fresh live play show. Their first three episodes were devoted to FFG's Star Wars system, and it's not just live play. Their goal is they're going to play it, they're going to live cast it and record it so that you can see the system being played, and afterwards they review the system. They provide critiques, suggestions, helpful hints. And their goal really is to get a wide berth of, of RPGs under their belt that we can all experience through live play. Um, they're doing a phenomenal job. Um, you know, recent episodes saw them playing and rating Arkham Horror um, and some of the new Pathfinder stuff. So, really great stuff. We're very pleased to welcome the Gathering of Dorks podcast to the network. So, welcome, guys. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You all can find the Gathering of Dorks podcast and many great more podcasts at www.d20radio.com. And moving on to FFG news, uh, as we mentioned at the start of our last episode, uh, the first career book for Age of Rebellion has been announced, Stay on Target. Uh, the article that was released on the FFG site teased three new specializations, the Beast Rider, the Hot Shot, and the Rigger. And it shows us, the th- uh, shows us the three new species introduced in that book. The four-armed Zextu, the rugged and prune-headed Dresselian, <laughs> and the cult fan favorite, the Chadra fan. Oh, you're not a fan? No, I'm just saying that it's a cult fan favorite. I am a Chadra. I- I'm a Chadra fan. <laughs> I see what you did there. You see what I did there? I like that. <laughs> I saw, I saw yeah. what you did there. And we, we brought this up again because our wonderful guest, Keith, you worked on this, didn't you? Oh, that's right. I sure did. Uh, <laughs> yeah, in fact, I think most of what they talk about in that first article was uh, all me. So, yeah, I was dealing with uh, the new species and the new specializations. And uh, I think that's going to be an awesome, awesome book. I think all the cool stuff is stuff I didn't write in that book. Uh, the new... Well, it's because it just wasn't my section. The, but the new astromech rules um, that they teased, and then they teased something else really awesome, too. Um, but I'm not sure, so I'm not going to say. But uh, there's some other awesome, awesome stuff in that book that I am super excited to see how the final, uh, how it came out in its final form. It's not and, even uh, its final like it's- form. <laughs> Uh, according to the site, uh, according to the article, it's got a quarter to th- uh, quarter four 2014 release, so we should have that before the holidays. Uh, and I look forward to the additional news articles that come out to sort of prelude it and tease it and let us know what awesomeness is coming in that book. Because it's not even its final form. It's not even in its final form. It's a power it's level over 9,000! <laughs> <laughs> Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I went there. Um, no, that's, that was great. Yeah, it's, it's all good. It's, it's all good. Fantastic. So, yeah. so let's take that excitement with the <clears throat> the, the nine thousand and and crank Gamer Nation Con twenty fifteen up to nine thousand. <laughs> 
dude, you know, I haven't even checked the Kickstarter in, uh, gosh, a while. Um, I mean, I checked it this morning. Um, but, uh, in fact, I'm actually pulling it up right now to see where we sit. Um, but what, what, uh, Phil is referring to, um, <clears throat> is Gamer Nation Con 2015 and the 2015 season of the Order 66 podcast. Um, we talked about this last episode, guys, uh, but <laughs> we obviously, uh, last year, uh, last spring, or I guess this year, um, in 2014, we hosted a con, uh, the first ever Gamer Nation Con, or GN Con, not to be composed, confused with Gen Con. Um, <laughs> um, Gamer Nation Con, and you guys loved it. Uh, you had a phenomenal time. We had hundreds of listeners come out, um, and we had uh, special guest Jay Little, um, and it was a lot of fun. Um, so you guys said, can we please do this next year? And we said, sure. And with the excess of uh, revenue we made from that con, we were able to uh, do a very small Kickstarter this year to do another one, um, which we funded in three days. Uh, um, now, you know, that the Kickstarter is running now and it is live. Now, even if you cannot make it down to the Dallas, Texas area, March 6th through the 8th, there are still a lot of people pledging at the base level because the base level, while it does not secure you a con ticket, does secure you access to the 2015 pile of swag. Um, we have had some wonderful industry people and friends of the network and others really do a lot of really cool stuff to to give you. Um, I've committed to writing three modules for any backer um, that you will receive, um, which are going to be my uh, three adventures in my Inglorious Rebels series that I have, with permission, shamelessly stolen from GM Brev. Um, <laughs> uh, Dave is writing his own series of uh, his, his own module as well, um, and. Keith, <laughs> you and Ryan Brooks, uh, in, in terms of your fandom comics garb, have gifted us, and we actually hit the stretch goal to release it immediately, so it's been released, one of the most epic modules to ever epic in the history of epicking. Oh, yeah, man. We were playtesting it out at Gen Con just to make sure there weren't any uh, little uh, speed bumps to smooth out, and uh, I know Ryan tested it several times uh, I just tested it once and it worked. I mean, I think it's fun. It's uh, a lot of tango and cash going on in there. A lot of, <laughs> lot of jailbreak stuff going on. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a good time. I think people people enjoy it. And the beautiful art and maps um, that were provided for it was like, it was awesome to kind of have uh, one last hurrah with a lot of my artist friends from the fandom comic stuff. And, uh Good times, dude. Good times. So that's the thing. You had three... I mean, obviously, the, the module's beautiful. It looks professionally produced. You have custom art in it um, that is profe- looks professionally done. Um, and three brand new maps uh, that you guys had created for the module. Um, and also gave us some high-res print-quality PDFs to go with it so that you know people, when they're downloading the module, can also download the maps and get them printed out nicely. Go to Kinko's and print it all out. It's too pretty not to. Dude, it's just utterly gorgeous. So that's in the swag pile. Um, the other huge thing is, Phil, um, I believe it'll be ready in October. You're adding your, because uh, obviously we have this three-act epic with Escape from Smuggler's Hold. You have your epic yep. that we've talked about, what, two episodes ago? Yep. <clears throat> the Big Leagues. The Big with Leagues. Hutball. With Hutball. The infamous Big Leagues, yeah. The big leagues with Hutball. Um, yeah, and the reason, well, the only reason why I'm saying it's going to be an October release is because um, all of the, well, the PCs, there are 21 PCs possible 
in this module, and several of them are drawn from my custom Jedi careers that I wrote over the past year. But now with the release of the Force and Destiny beta, I kind of want to start transitioning some of those characters over to take advantage of what we see in that book. So I need to do some updates there. And you want to add in a sidebar that goes over what happens if you want to run this module in an era other than the Old Republic MMO. Um, I want to give you guys a a, a clue as to how to run this if you have PCs in the Rebellion era, like Edge of the Empire or Age of Rebellion that want to run through this or or other eras. Uh, And if you want to run this with your own PCs who aren't quite the level that the PCs in the module have, because the PCs in the module are probably rocking 150 to 200 XP. Um, (laughs) If you've got some some guys with only 25 or 20 uh, or 25 or 50 earned XP, it could be a little rough. So I, I want to ha- add a little scaling in there. So it's going to be for an October release, but it will be out in October. That's fantastic. Um, yes. So at least at least half a dozen modules are going to be delivered as a part of this uh, swag pile. On top of that, we have a short story that I just finished reading um, from Wayne Basta, longtime friend of the network, show sponsor, and author of the Aristea novels we talked about before. Um, he wrote this deliciously, sarcastically awesome short story called Rock Falls, <laughs> um, <clears throat> which is all about, uh, well, gosh, you'll just have to read it to find out. Um, it's pretty amazing. Um, other cool things in the pile, Chris West, the infamous map maker and other show sponsor, has also agreed to do, um, and we have seen them, they're gorgeous, a set of custom Echo Base map tiles. Ah. Oh. All right. So, Ice Caverny. All right. And, oh, that's great. And, yes. uh, you know, I just, just incredible. Um, and the other thing that we actually hit the stretch goal and I released today for immediate download for those who wanted it were a set of, I love these. Um, super fan and and supporter Ryan Dugas, who's a graphic designer and graphic artist by trade, he crafted a free um, <clears throat> for us and, and the backers uh, print and play set of Pazak cards that are inspired by the old Jendi Tartakovsky uh, Clone Wars cartoon uh, that aired on Cartoon Network. I saw those cards, and I also went to the Roll Twenty page today, and they're talking about their whole new custom uh, card deck features uh-huh and i'm thinking it couldn't take much work to try to get these two things to meet together i i'm thinking not but uh it, it's pretty cool uh as part of the pizzat card decks uh, i mean it's obviously there's there's pdfs of the cards for just that are sized appropriately with fronts and backs just print and play um there's also in that uh download are are jpegs of every single card image um so if you wanted to do something like that you can easily yeah um also, as a part of that, are the rules for Pazak combined in a sort of player's guide um, that uh, was done up and written like it was uh, sort of an introduction novice's guide to Pazak by a champion Pazak player. Um, and uh, that's a lot of fun as well. But more swag keeps getting added to the pile. We've had uh, two other authors that have committed to writing modules for the pile this year. Um, a couple of them contributed last year. Uh, and we are just—it's it, blowing and going. As of if you hear my voice right now and you're listening live, you have less than 40 hours to get in on this Kickstarter before it ends and get that cool 2015 swag. Um, if you're listening to this podcast, uh, gosh, Sunday or Monday, you may not have any time at all. So head to Kickstarter ASAP. Do a search for Gamer Space Nation Space Con or. 3-D-O-G-G, three days of gaming goodness. Just three dog with two Gs. You can do a search for that too, and it will pull up the Kickstarter pledge and get your swag. So it's very, very cool. 
going back to some of my old days uh, elsewhere on the network, uh, this next bit of news comes from a request of an old, old favorite of mine, Star Wars The Old Republic, and an invitation to all of you within the sound of my voice to join the Order of 66. Yes, the Order 66 podcast and D20 Radio's official affiliated SWOTOR guild. They are badass, and you should play, since it's free to play. <laughs> and the and game with some really awesome gamers. Uh, one of the things that I really, really enjoyed was getting to meet up with some of these folks who, who I've been playing with for years on the MMO uh, at Gen Con this year. It was great, especially, uh, especially and rooming with uh, uh, Froby. And experiencing all that was for Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, but, f- yeah, the, these guys are great. They're phenomenal. They've got guild activities going on every week, um, several times during the week. And if my Twitter feed is correct, it sounds like the Order of 66 finally has its own flagship. Yeah. And that is a big deal in the game that was just released. Galactic Strongholds was the most recent update. And one of the things that they finally have is character housing guild housing and guild flagships where zones can now be taken over by the Republic and the Empire, but you have to have a flagship to do it. So come, check us out. Uh, Head over to uh, it's a a long URL uh, sites.google.com slash site slash the order of 66 slash home for guild info. Or I'm sure if you do a search for the order of 66, you'll find it as well. Or you can hop onto Twitter and follow us at uh, follow the guild at uh, the guild GM at GM six six S W T O R. Oh yeah, it I, has been so long since <clears throat> I've logged in and actually played any tour. It's probably been how long has that game been around now? Like three years. It's and ending its third year in December. Yep. Gee, I, it's probably been over a year and a half since I've logged in. Like. There's been so many updates at this point, like, I need to get back on there and check it out. Well, Expect you... to have to rebuild your entire character, because they'll, yeah. like, have reset your skill points. Yep. Probably. Yeah. I had I had a 50, level 55 trooper or something was the last thing I had. Ooh. Something like that. Ooh. Well, the, so, um, it, you know, if you, if you get back on, man, obviously, the guild. Oh. I, I, w- I was a member of the guild once upon a time, because me and Ryan used to oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. roll with you guys all the time. Yeah. But Ryan, Ryan, still on. I, Ryan probably does still get on more. He's more diligent. He he's much better about organizing his time to use it efficiently, whereas I'm not. So I don't have time. I don't. I, I can't carve out time for games anymore. It seems. Well, you right. kind of you know you're writing. It, it, it's it's there. Yeah. Right. Well, <laughs> writing games instead of playing games. Sometimes. I mean, I still tabletop, but the the video game time has gone way down. If you have a choice between tabletopping and video gaming, it it's for me. It's, it's not a it's, it's not a choice it's at all. It's, it's not fine. a choice. I know, I know, I know. But hey, for all of you in the sound of our voice, uh, you can hear it. Um, obviously, do a search for the Order of Sixty Six uh, and get there. Find it. Um, it's an awesome guild to play in, um, and they've got some cool recruitment videos up on YouTube now as well uh, that are really worth taking a look at. So yay, pretty hip. <clears throat> and while you are trolling around the internets, time for the obligatory social media plug. Stay in the know by following D20 Radio on the Facebook for news and podcast info. On a daily basis, we have a very active uh, uh, D20 Radio Facebook community. You can also follow all the GMs on Twitter, at D20 Radio. 
Um, you can also follow us individually at GM Chris, at GM Phil, at GM Dave. Uh, we post and tweet show info and announcements regularly, so it's a cool thing. There's quite a few people watching live in Echo Base right now as we live stream this broadcast because they probably <laughs> saw the post on Facebook uh, or the tweet. Um, or they, of course, went to d20radio.com slash forums and uh, kept their eyes on the podcast boards for the live show announcements, which is another thing you can do. So there. <sighs> well, gentlemen, shall we uh, get to the reason we have Mr. Kappel on this particular show? That would be prudent. Prudence is my middle name. Actually, it's Cornelius, but we're going to go with Prudence. Yeah. Turning our attention back to the many, many great products that have been released by Fantasy Flight Games for the Star Wars role-playing game recently, we are happy to welcome a guest that has been a friend of the show since his early days with Fandom Comics. More recently, he's been a contributing writer for Far Horizons and the topic of tonight's discussion, the Age of Rebellion's GM Kit. It is our absolute pleasure to welcome (laughs) Keith Kappel to the show. Yay! Woo! Oh, thanks, guys. Welcome back, sir. It's good to be back. So, so Keith, to be specific, um, let's get some obligatory questions out of the way. Who are you, and what do you do? I feel like I'm being interrogated. Um, I'm I'm Keith Kappel, and I am a freelance writer at Fantasy Flight Games. Um, when I'm not doing that, I'm also a bartender. Um. But that's that's about it. So I write I write the first draft of many of, of parts of at least sections of many of the the books and modules and things that uh, you all buy um, and play. So what I'm getting from this is that you're an enabler. Yes, it's my <clears throat> fault. There you go. <laughs> there you go. He is a professional enabler. You are a professional enabler. Love it. It's true. That needs to be to on the business card. <laughs> I went He's to school for this guy. These days, man. Yeah, wrong. So, what uh, what are your past writing credits? I mean, we've got as I said, uh, the GM kit and uh, Far Horizons. But what else do you have out there in print? Um, Well, I also worked on Sons of Fortune. Um, That was the the first job I did for FFG. And then upcoming, you already mentioned uh, the Aces book, Stay on Target. And then I've also been told it's okay to say that I worked on the uh, Force and Destiny core core rulebook as well. Um, not yeah, the that, beta, that, that's... so my name is not in the beta, but um, I did work on that. I was part of that team. Yeah, it, it the core rulebook for Force and Destiny is kind of announced, but not announced, but announced. Right, right. <laughs> it's, it's like in that weird nether zone. It was kind of like the situation we were in a month or two ago where it's like, Force and Destiny beta, is it going to be a Gen Con or not? Well, the past two <laughs> were, so it's probably going to be there, but... <laughs> They're not going to tell us for sure until like the boxes are actually in Indianapolis. And the fact so. that the beta is out, but it's like, okay, can we talk about the core rulebook? Because the core rulebook hasn't been announced yet. It's like, right. 
wouldn't that be hilarious if it's like, uh, you know, like say in oh late November, all right, uh, you know, Sam Stewart comes on, he's like, well, guys, we got our beta feedback in, and the bottom line is, you just don't like the product, so we're not <laughs> we're not going to produce it. Um, not going to do, <laughs> <it. laughs> do it. Beta's all you get. Sorry, sorry. Heat set. They might do it specifically just not to have to print my section because, uh, you know, it's it's not my best. I can't one. fix that post. No, I'm kidding. It's uh, uh, I'm excited. I'm excited for my Force and Destiny section to come out because I got to work on stuff that normally they reserve for the likes of the the legend that is Sterling Hershey. So, ooh, ooh. So uh, I, f- I feel good about it. I think Sterling was just sick of it and wanted to do something else. But I'm <laughs> I'm taking it as um, a cool opportunity, and I had a lot of fun. Excellent. Looking awesome. forward to it. Um, and then other stuff that I've written that's out there in print. Mm-hmm. I do have. One short story that you could still buy um, from uh, uh, it's a quarterly called The Pass and Review. Um, I used to be in the Navy once upon a time, the United States Navy. And uh, um, so I have quite a bit of uh, uh, short story uh, uh, material that, you know, I occasionally send out places to get printed. So that's a quarterly that only prints uh, stories, poetry, photography, um, but only from veterans, uh, only from military veterans. So yeah, um, their very first issue. I think they're on issue three now or something like that. Um, but I'm in the very first issue, which you can buy on Amazon if you search for the pass and review and probably my name. It should come up. That's really cool. Okay, so this is your published work. <clears throat> Let's talk about your fan work, man. Sure, man. Sure. Um, I mean, there there would probably be no published work if not for the fan work. So there you go. Um, I started uh, – Fandom Comics was – Something me and Ryan Brooks, who also uh, freelances at Fantasy Flight and has worked on. (coughs) (coughs) Excuse me. Excuse me. I coughed. Um, But me and Ryan uh, founded Fandom Comics together in uh, 2005, a little before then. I think we we timed it so that we started working on things early, but we timed it so we could open the site uh, on the same day uh, Revenge of the Sith uh, came out in theaters. So we did that back in 05 and we did it for like eight or nine years. So all throughout like D20 revised and, uh, uh, saga edition, uh, from Wizards of the Coast then did a little something called the, uh, the Clone Wars fan, the saga edition Clone Wars fan source book, which is probably like, I don't know, like 600 pages of fan material for saga edition for the the Clone Wars era. But, uh, (laughs) Something like that. It's some insane number of pages like that. And uh, so I did that for a long time. And then while doing that, we watched uh, the the wonderful Rodney Thompson get called up from the fan community at Star Wars RPG Network to, to work on Saga Edition and all that kind of stuff. And we were like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we got to do something like that, too? And, uh, you know, it's cool enough now, now me and Ryan get to. So... <laughs> That's epic. Now, Fandom Comics, if people want to go check out the work you guys have done, where should they go? Uh, Fandom, F-A-N-D-O-M, comics, C-O-M-I-C-S dot com. Uh, You go there. We have Star Wars fan comic books, which is where the name came from. And uh, um, I have some terrible, terrible short stories that I wrote a long time ago um, up there. But I figured, you know, whatever. I'm I'm just going to leave them up there. And... uh, (laughs) Also, you could download all of those. Those, if you guys still play Saga Edition, you really should download it because 
even if there's only one thing in 10 you actually would want to bring to your table in there, it, it'll be one awesome thing in, in 10. So. Yeah, there's a <laughs> lot there. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, moving on to the Age of Rebellion Game Master's Kit. I mean... It is what it is. First of all, the, the main, the first product that you get that you see right there when you pick it up, is the Age of Rebellion Game Master screen. Beautiful artwork, very informative charts. The usual, the the usual what you would expect to see on the back of the GM screen. There's still no handy chart to remind GMs of the cost to change range bands, but that's not. I'm sure that's not your decision. Yeah. Um, so when I get the freelance writing assignment, they really only put me in charge of the writing part. Uh, yes. Not the, the table assembly part for the actual screen. Um, I, I was never in the loop on that. Um, otherwise, I would gladly take the hit for it. But uh, uh, I <laughs> oh, agree. Oh, no, no, I'm not blaming you. I'm not blaming oh, no. you. Oh, no, go ahead. I'm here. You might as well. <laughs> I am I am the avatar for the entire company. I mean, if you want to if you want to just spit in your microphone right now to, to show your true disgust with it, it's, I feel feel it's a great way to start the interview off, you know. But I like my microphone. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Well, you can just print out my picture and spit on that. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, okay. Whatever, All right. That's whatever, cool. whatever makes you happy, Phil. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know, man. They, uh, um, I would have loved to have seen. I think I think the range vans would have been a, a neat idea. There were some people on the forums that were calling for like they were they were wishing that uh, um, there would have been more uh, um, attention to more space combat type of stuff on the, the Age of Rebellion screen instead of the ground stuff. But I think, I think one thing to consider is just that um, they they're making the products assuming that there's a, a a high percentage chance that people are only going to buy into one of the three lines instead of all of them. So uh, the complaints Which that confounds me, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I I don't know, but um, I, I, I mean, can I if, realize... if that's if that's the point of view you're taking, then you know you're gonna you're gonna see some reprinted material. I realize writing for the for for the the least common denominator, you know, the people who are like, oh, I'm only going to buy into Edge of the Empire. But I look at this whole thing and I'm going, are you insane? Right. You have two out. other lines of material you could use for your <laughs> Edge of the Empire campaign. Right, and it all mixes so nicely. It's oh, beautifully. It, you know, it is what it is. But uh, but yeah. that being their point of view, business wise, like I could understand why a lot of they they're not going uh, they're not trying to specialize the screens. Uh, I can take but, that. I can take that. But it would have been cool to, for them to squeeze like range bands on there. They could have made the screen an inch taller and had like a range band chart. I don't know. <laughs> I'm on, I'm on your side. I, I'll uh, I, I'm sure I'll get yelled at. But maybe I'll send an email for. I'm sure there's a Force and Destiny screen. I don't know this, of course, because I don't comment on future products. But so, I would imagine if I really had to guess as as, uh, as someone not in the loop on these sorts of things, sure I would imagine. Shot in the dark. I would, I would, I would hazard the guess that it's a fifty-fifty shot that we Possibly may have available at the same time as the Force and Destiny Core rulebook. I mean, let's not get ahead of ourselves, but no, no. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would, I would say there's a pretty good chance that there's they get one more chance at, at including range bands on the screen, and, and maybe they will get it right. They're not going to. They're not going to print screens that have different data on them. It will not happen. Mm. It, it'd be crazy talk. But it, I mean, it is what it is. That's the screen. They did, they didn't ask me. So let's talk about something that we can blame you for. Cool. The Age of Rebellion GM Kit booklet 
the oh, that's all. That's all. Dead in the water with optional rules in the back for fighting in squads and squadrons. Now, this is important to note. I have talked to players, okay? I talked to them at Gen Con that did not pick up the AOR GM kit because they already had a GM screen, all right? And they understood there was a published adventure in there, but they're like, yeah, but it's a published adventure. I like to do my own adventures. And I'm like, you don't understand. There's rules in that adventure. <laughs> uh, and the other reason, though, they might not have picked it up is because I believe it sold out inside of two weeks. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that might have something to do with it as well. Maybe. Could Maybe. be. Could be. They might have just been salty about it, and that's, that I was mean, the natural response. You, you flip through this thing, and you see all kinds of useful stuff for everybody. I mean, you've got, what, two write-ups of planets in here, or, yeah. or just neat locations. There's this gorgeous, uh, almost two-full-page spread of a, uh, of, of a schematic for a, a Nebulon B frigate. Yep. Gorgeous NPCs, all kinds of useful stuff. Maps. Maps galore. Yep. Yep. And these optional rules for fighting in squads and squadrons, which are vastly different from the mass combat rules that were teased and, and are in Onslaught at Adra 1. They, they are not even trying to be the same thing. They have completely different objectives as rule sets. So, uh, yeah. yeah. And, and, and I guess that's where I, I wanted to start. So we'll start with, the, with I suppose, the, the smaller of the two sections. You've got the adventure, and then you've got these additional rules. Uh, and there were a lot of folks that were there, – there seems to be this, this – I don't know where it got started, but this sort of, oh, it's going to you – know, they're going to be basically be covering sort of the same thing. Or, or one was a uh, – you know, like they, they talked about these squad rules. Oh, but there's going to be mass combat. They're going to expand on that even further in, in Onslaught at Audra 1. And these are completely different. Right. For anyone who doesn't have the 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 booklet yet, the 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 uh, the GM kit, fighting in squads and squadrons. These are specifically, well, okay, Keith, what is the purpose of the these rules here? What what what, the, what do these rules allow you to do? Sure. Um, so the basic idea of the squad and squadron rules is to add survivability to uh, PCs and critical uh, uh, story-important NPCs. So uh, um, uh, a lot of people who have may, maybe have played a lot of space combat in uh, Fantasy Flight games and Edge or Age or whatever, um, you might notice that the, the starships, they tend to go down just like they did in the movies pretty easily. It doesn't, mm-hmm. take, it doesn't matter if you're a PC or if you're a whatever. You can only get hit so many times before you're, you're done for the day. So, uh, um, and the other problem a lot of people have, have encountered is that uh, when you're fighting the big bad evil guy, um, a party, if they get to gang up on the big bad evil guy all by themselves, they can shoot him down or, or just on the ground combat. They, get, they tend to kill them a little quickly. Um, so in the edge of the Empire GM kit, you'll remember there were uh, nemesis rules in there, and they introduced this idea of giving, uh, giving your nemeses uh, uh, more than one attack per, per yep. Uh, round. Yep. So um, the optional rules in that GM kit dealt with uh, Big Bad Evil Guy offense and ways to increase it to deal with uh, uh, player groups that are, you know, just a bunch of stark, mad, raving murder elbows and sure. how, to, how to make sure that, like, your Big Bad Evil Guy, who's only supposed to cameo in the first act, doesn't actually die there and leave you in the lurch is the GM <laughs> for, had... for Act 3. I had one action! One! <laughs> right, they're right, and, and they get burned down a little quickly. Um, sure. So, uh, while the Edge kit focused on offense, 
the age kit focuses more on defense. So what these squad and squadron rules allow you to do is basically use a group of minions and attach them as one unit to uh, a big bad evil guy or a PC and uh, um, use them as meat shields. So, you know, they, uh, um, they're going to, they're going to allow you to get your big bad evil guy all the way to act three, hopefully. And that's one of the things I really liked about this is that it wasn't just for the the big bad evil guys or or the the boss fight of the, the boss character creature of of a particular encounter. These rules really allow a PC to say to do the whole okay, let's do the big climactic fight from Return of the Jedi, sure. where you can have a couple people, you can have Han and Leia down, and give each of them a, technically a squad of troopers. Absolutely. And you can have Wedge up in space with a squadron of X-Wings just, you know, going around. And yep. Orlando right. in the Falcon yeah. with a squadron of X-Wings yeah. behind exactly. him. Exactly, exactly. So, so, so each of them with their own squadron too. And, and it, it really allows you to capture this narrative cinematic feel of I am leading a force. It's not just me and my six buddies. It is me leading a part of this alliance against the Empire. Sure. I mean, that's, that's definitely the intent, like, narratively, for sure, to have that sort of vibe to things. So, so each of these groups, they're, they're formed by rivals, nemeses, and, and PCs. And from what we've got here, it takes an easy leadership check and a maneuver to, to put the group together. Sure. And once they're together, they, add, they, they act as, as one unit, so it's... <clears throat> It's you with your squad, and whenever you act, your squad acts just after you. Um, and um, only like, if you're disbanded. I mean, if you're all together, your squad does not get. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it's just you're you're basically um, you're giving up minion group offense in exchange for this major defensive ability. So there is a give and take there between uh, um, a lot of people. Some people, not a lot of people, really. Some people have been upset that, like, why would I ever want to give up that massive high attack bonus for a minion group of six or whatever? And and what I say is, just because you're in a narrative squadron doesn't necessarily mean mechanically that all of your minions need to be in a mechanical, you know, squad or squadron with you. Right. Um, so, like, if you're Rogue Squadron, yeah, Wedge might have um, two or three guys in a squad squadron with him but um the rest of the narrative squadron might just be a minion group providing offense right well dude my response okay i i, I heard that i heard that whine um mm-hmm. and somebody said well you know why would i do that it's like you know i'd rather just have them be six minions by themselves with that massive massive boost to attack and i'm like why would you think they would all act as one minion group because they're decoupled from you why do you think they would all act together it's yeah, that not... it, it's that leadership check you made that caused them to act as a unit around you if you didn't do that they'd be acting as maybe a couple of them might work together or they'd be acting as solo minions not working or, as a group or just wingman pairs yeah. so uh yeah. and and i'll say this if you have a leadership skill worth anything you'll probably hit a triumph often enough that you won't really miss out on, on that big bonus attack either. Right. Now that brings up a question, and I, I missed whether or not this was a typo. I'm, I'm looking at table 1-2, spending advantage and triumph during squad and squadron combat. There's two listings with one triumph in them. Is that second one supposed to be two triumphs? If leading a squad or squadron, the minion allies may make a free immediate attack. 
No, it should it should it should just be one. Yeah, it's just oh, a it's different one. Okay. option. One of one of them is if you're uh, if leading, and one of them is if targeting. So oh, uh, oh okay. Some of some of these options might be um, you as a solo player not using the squad and squadron rules at all as a PC um, targeting a bad guy who is in a uh, gotcha. squad or squadron. Gotcha. All right, that's cool. So let's talk about the benefit of making these formations. Um, and as you say, these are built for defense. So what happens when someone shoots at a group of uh, – shoots at a squad? What sure. happens if they shoot at a squad and hit? So the squad is one target. And, and uh, um, the leader of the squad, the default is that the squad leader is going to take this damage uh, himself or herself. Mm-hmm. But um, they have the option to redirect that hit to a minion. And instead of dealing with damage and uh, soak and figuring, it's just if you redirect it, that minion dies. That minion is gone. Um, So they have that option once they get hit. And and that's pretty much all there is to it, really. Very cool. Quick, simple, easy. I like that. Yeah. But when you make these formations, there's a reason they're called formations because you can rearrange your guys in, in this squad to do different things, right? Absolutely. There's, uh, I think they have six, is it six different stances, formations six different stances. Um, that, that you can uh, order your squad into. And each is going to provide some sort of residual uh, uh, offensive or defensive or even a skill check benefit that you might miss out on otherwise. So uh, um, there's uh, uh, a lot of them are defensive postures or uh, right. like uh, dug in. Dug in uh, adds a boost or a setback rather to, to people targeting you. So if, for a squad, that represents like uh, you're ordering all your guys to, to really dig in behind cover and, and uh, uh, you know fight defensively a little bit. Um, now the and, one that really that the one that really kind of makes me go back to what they were saying. Oh, why would I give up that extra extra firepower uh, for skirmish? That's why you'd give up that extra firepower. <laughs> right. You get some uh, dude with a heavy repeating rifle, and, and you can form your guys into a skirmish line, and then it's only one advantage to trigger that auto-fire? Um, no, it uh, requires enemies to spend an additional advantage. Oh, that's what that does. Oh, yeah, okay. It, it's defensive. So uh, uh, the idea is that your guys spread out enough that if somebody has like a blast weapon or an auto-fire weapon, like they can't take you all out with one grenade, as minion groups are prone to dying. With oh, one I totally read that attack. wrong, but that's cool yeah. too. So uh, um, it makes it a little bit harder to blow everybody up because they're the line is spread out a little more, and it also adds a boost to all your attacks. I think it is because again, uh, you're spread out enough to get different angles on guys. Uh, close where add a boost die to any attack made by the squad while it's in formation. Here's the one I really, really thought was cool: mission specialist. Right. Uh, when your squad is in that formation, the squad leader can use his leadership check skill to perform computers, mechanics, medicine, skullduggery, survival, or a knowledge check? Yeah, the idea here was that uh, if you're in a squad or a squadron and, and you have uh, um, maybe a specific mission objective you need to accomplish, um, sometimes you might not have the prerequisite skill yourself as the leader, but someone in your squad will. Uh, you'll you'll have included someone in the squad that is a mission specialist, and they'll be able to make this check for you. So you just you get to make it with a leadership check instead. Now, when I first read that, I was like, "God, that's really overpowered." And then I kept reading, reading, and it's like, "Oh, as a leader, you can only do this a number of times per session, equal to your ranks and leadership." 
Yeah, there had to be something in there. Otherwise, you're just giving guys a whole bunch of free uh, free ranks and all these skills that they no longer have to buy ever as long as they have at least one minion with them. And that seems right. wrong, obviously. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the thing is if you can get if you get to be that leader in the alliance, your duty and reputation scores high enough, you can be assigned three or four guys for every mission. Right. Oh, for sure. And uh, um, and if your leadership skill is high enough, then you can use this quite a bit. Uh, Right. You know, you could use it up to six times a session, which is it's still a lot. But but a smart GM would just send them up against heavy heavy opponents that can right. just mow down the allies. <laughs> right, right. That's the thing. It's a self-solving problem. The GM could be like, oh, wait, this is getting a little too ridiculous. I'll just have these six stormtroopers keep shooting him. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, if you if you throw enough guys up there, you, you will soak through most of the help eventually. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other two ones we've got are Calm Silence, which gives a boost to stealth checks, and Search Party, which adds to survival checks to track targets and make perception checks at the GM's discretion. And then, I, I like that. You, got that. you can do that whole kind of seek and destroy team. You can do that you know, right. uh, infiltration team. Yeah, they're, they're more subtle abilities. They're not, uh, for the most part, I, I would say Mission Specialist is probably the most powerful one. Um, but uh, we did we didn't want to break the game or anything like that. So they're just they're little things because to make up for the fact that with an average leadership skill, you're, you're gonna that minion group, however many minions you have, they are gonna be missing out on I'd say at least half of their attacks. You know what I mean? Right. So yeah, exactly. And that brings us to the the other types of squads you can make, and that being squadrons. Right. And uh, here I like to say this. Oh, I like to see this as one of the reasons why maybe you got involved in the other book. That's you know, is, uh, stay on target, because some of these squadron formation rules are some of these squadron benefits are are pretty nice. Uh, yeah, you have uh, attack formation, which is kind of your focusing fire, so it just gives you a boost to any attack. Um, there's evasive maneuvers, which is actually the same as uh, skirmish where it just makes it more difficult to uh, uh, be hit by those uh, uh, blast and auto fire weapons. Um, but it also affects gaining the advantage. Mm-hmm. So, uh, um, and that can be huge. So, but the, the idea is that um, if you're part of a squad and as a, as a mechanical unit, you're all kind of acting as like wingmen for each other. So, um, you're going to have an easier time gaining the advantage because there's another guy right behind you helping out. So it, it kind of made sense to me. And then running dark is uh, uh, similar to calm silence, but actually a little bit better. It's a little more powerful because it downgrades checks. And uh, then you have sensor sweep, which is similar to uh, uh, which one Search was party. it? Uh, no, no, it's actually more similar to skirmish. And as far yeah. as uh, uh, yeah. it, it has like the skirmish abilities got split for this, and then skilled navigator, which uh, uh, is similar to the uh, mission specialist and screen formation. Love oh, it. there it is. Love screen screen formation hiding on the other page. I forgot. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that my not... that's my favorite one. <laughs> yes, um, it's like yeah. oh yeah yeah defense to every zone. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> Uh, yeah, because uh, it's kind of like when uh, when the, the Red Squadron's coming in on the Death Star and they're like they're telling everybody how to angle their deflector shields, you know, double front and all that. And uh, 
then Luke tells his squad to like even out the shield. So it's kind of like a, a, a evening out your shields, or even if your ship has no shields, just positioning it so that everybody's weak spots are kind of protected and the ships can, you know, narratively they can kind of shuffle around. If somebody's damaged, they can hide the damage spot, you know what I mean, by switching to, to a different part of the formation. Right. So you gave us these rules that are, are vastly different from mass combat. The mass combat rules in Onslaught at, Onslaught at Arda, those are kind of just one die roll to narrate the effect of God. Could be even hours of combat. Right. So, I mean, the mass combat rules are really the ones that are devoted to uh, handling combat that the PCs are not necessarily directly involved in. Like, sure. um, in Return of the Jedi, for instance, there were how many different battles going on at the end? You had the the Ewoks and the Rebels and the Imperials on Endor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then you had the space battle with uh, uh, Lando and Akbar and, and the Imperials up top. You had the, the guys actually flying into the uh, the Death Star would have been a, another one while the rest of the battle was still raging on outside. Right. And then you had Luke and Darth Vader and the Emperor fighting it out inside the Death Star. So you have all these different sequences going on. And arguably not every single one of those sequences is using uh, PCs. So where the mass combat rules can work amazing is if you have – a, a battle that's like a background battle going on um, mm-hmm. and the PCs can still be involved no question and this still works but the, those mass combat rules are really designed to like paint the picture once per round of, of what's going on with like the larger battles so like you're watching Empire Strikes Back Battle of Hoth good example um, you have uh, all these shots of like this uh, air, this random snow speeder gets shot down and then this uh, uh you know, this walker might get, get uh, taken out by somebody. And then the PCs all kind of get their turn. Luke gets his turn to do something. The camera goes to him for a while. Camera goes to somebody else. Then we see a, a random rebel uh, laser emplacement get uh, blown up, right? Like, those random things exploding, those would be kind of the results of these mass combat checks that are happening once around. That's kind of how I think of them when, when I look at those rules for the first time. Hmm. Completely different animal from this. Right, and th- this is stuff that's happening with the PCs and the people the PCs are fighting. So, um, yeah, it, they're really not trying to achieve at all the same sort of thing. So, mechanically, what happens when you target a squad? Do you use the squad leader's stats with only the, with the only change being the modified silhouette? Right, yes. Uh, okay. So th- that's what happens, and then uh, uh, th- they get targeted, and if it hits then uh, it's up to the squad leader whether he wants to absorb the damage or redirect it to a minion. And, and you know, then it, if it gets redirected to a minion, that minion dies. If the squad leader takes it, he takes that damage as normal. Mm. Is there a maximum silhouette size that one can be to form a squad? Um, I want to say it was four. Was it silhouette four or... It's definitely in there, or it was definitely in there at one point. Because we wanted to make sure that uh, if you were flying a light freighter like the Falcon, you could still uh, uh, you could still add on smaller ships or the same types of ships and still form a squad. I want to say it was four. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm 
I'm having a hunch that I, I swear I read in here that it was four somewhere, but I can't see it now. But I'm not seeing it. I, I would think that four would be the would be the the upper limit of what you could do. Yeah, I'm naturally. Anything not else is just gonna be too big. Right. Well, I mean, technically, I guess if you really wanted to form a like Death Squadron, a squadron of Imperial Star Destroyers, <laughs> you could. But now understand that one hit from an X-wing mechanically would take out one Star Destroyer. So <laughs> if you redirected, you know what I mean? So at a certain point, it like wouldn't make sense to do that to yourself. But uh, yeah, I'm, not, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's Silhouette 4. Maybe it's 5. I'm pretty sure it's 4, though. Mm. But then uh, the way to figure out the Silhouette of the Squad or Squadron is just the largest member. Add one to whatever that is. That's the size of your squad or squadron. Right. So the Millennium Falcon with a group of Y-Wings and X-Wings and Escort, it would be a Silhouette 5 target. Correct. Which makes sense to me, anyway. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Now, can you target specific elements of the squad, or are you just attacking the squad? Um, so, uh, uh, I would honestly say... Uh, no, because you really are targeting that unit, that new single unit. It, it'd be like targeting maybe a specific minion in a minion group instead of just targeting the minion group. Like saying, oh, I want to hit a fresh one instead of the guy who's already damaged or something. Sure. Um, I mean, if you really want to, fine. I would just, I would increase, if, if they were really doing that, I would reduce the silhouette size back down, maybe. Mm. Um, to make it a little bit more difficult to hit that one target they're aiming at. And then the risk that they take is the check's a little bit more difficult, and if they miss, then they, you know, then they miss. They don't, it's easier to hit the whole squad, the squad as a whole. Now, auto-fire and, and when you make two, uh, two weapon attacks, those, those seem easy to me. You attack the squad, and if you trigger auto-fire or that second hit with your offhand weapon, you, you hit something else in the squad. Or you, or you hit the guy, and the guy can choose whether or not to pass it off to his minions or not. Right. What about blast weapons? Sure. How does so, that interact with squad? So, um, really, it should interact. Um, all right. Let's say you throw a grenade at a squad, and it hits. Right. Um, the squad leader can choose to take the damage or redirect. Let's say, for this instance, they they choose to redirect it. The minion who took that hit is dead. That part's over. The rest of the squad. The rest of that. Uh, squad, that unit, including the leader, if blast is activated, should then all take blast damage. Um, gotcha. That is how that should be handled, because uh, obviously we have uh, effects for certain uh, formations that make it more difficult to trigger those effects. Gotcha, gotcha. And then it's sort of up to the GM to decide how tightly packed in the squad is. Right. Right. I mean, uh, um, if you're talking about something that's a very large silhouette, like uh, maybe it's a, uh, for instance, uh, a vehicle uh, squad uh, on a the couple, ground. A couple the ground, yeah, I mean squadron, and, and a grenade gets thrown at it, and you have some guys on the ground, but you have some walkers, you have whatever. Yeah, you, you might, I mean, at that point, I doubt that grenade is going to do much damage to the walkers anyway, but you right. might rule that they're, they're just too far away. You, you can certainly use GM Fiat and common sense where, where it makes sense in that sort of situation. But, but generally speaking, yeah, it should be, uh, uh, it hits whoever it hits. And if it's targeted to a minion, the minion dies just like any other hit, um, in these rules. And then if they can activate blast or auto fire, cool. Um, 
that is actually going to play as normal. It's not going to auto-kill things from then forward. Hmm. Now, one of the questions I had is, I mean, as you're as you're, I'm read, I'm the leader. I redirect. I redirect. I redirect. I redirect. I mean, my minions are dropping like flies, right? Sure. I mean, at least it's one I can see here. That doesn't decrease the efficacy of the squad's abilities. I can still use all of my formations. Correct. I mean, regardless. yeah. As long as you have at least one minion, you can use any formation listed okay. for either the squad or squadron, depending on what you're in. Okay, just making sure. Yeah. As long so, as you have at least one guy, so you could certainly. If you wanted to do, like, for instance, you want to do a rogue squadron campaign with your guys, squadron usually has 12 fighters. Let's say you have five or six PCs. Everybody gets one NPC wingman. You're all your own mechanical squadron, but you're, you know, you're still rogue squadron collectively. Uh, you can all each individually have access to all of these maneuvers um, with as long as your wingman's alive. So, okay, so we talk about what happens when you, as long as you've got at least one guy with you. Now, you've got rules in here for disrupting the formation and actually causing the formation to break apart. Sure. Uh, someone rolls enough threat or despair or fails a fear check, your squad disbands. Yeah. Now, a disbanded squad, as we, as I come, as we cleared up earlier, the disbanded squad now acts act right after the former leader in the initiative order. Right. The idea is really that they don't, we're not going to add another initiative slot. Um, they're just going to go right after the squad leader because odds are in most cases, um, most players are probably going to regroup with their squad or squadron on their next turn anyway. And this whole business of, uh, 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 dropping the lowest initiative and then adding another initiative slot every time somebody's able to disband, it created this sort of weird situation. So it just seemed easier to, to have them go whenever the, whenever the squad leader might go. They go in that same slot. They just take their turn immediately after. All right, cool. So if the if the leader goes and the last initiative slot in one round, and then the turn ends and resets back to the top and decides to go first in the following round, the squad is still going to go after both of those turns. Both times, both times they'll go right okay. after him. And unless you know, obviously, unless the squad is reformed, in which case, unless the squad then, is reformed, then they they don't get a turn anymore because they're they're back to being part of the whole thing. Right. So. These these rules alone are are to me worth the price of admission, but you also give us twenty seven pages of a bang up module, my friend. Oh, thank you, sir. Dude, it's good. Uh, yeah. Dead in the water. It uh, it was my big my big love letter to the expanded universe hiding in there. I was wondering about that, but we'll 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 get to that. How did you come to be the author of the, the GM Kid Adventure? So, I mean, I will say that, I mean, first of all, I think it was Gen Con 2013, which was my first Gen Con in many years, um, where I finally, I got to meet a lot of the, the guys that I'd already worked on with, uh, I worked on Sons and uh, uh, Far Horizons with for Sam. So I got to meet Sam. I think that was my second time meeting him because I went up to Minnesota once sometime in there too. But I, I was at Gen Con. Uh, begging for work, which is something I, I like to do. Um, <laughs> I was successful begging for work this year, too. It's just, you know, I go around with a tin cup shaking change in there, uh, <laughs> asking people to spare writing assignments, and, and sometimes it works out. So uh, um, uh, it was it was not long after uh, last year's Gen Con when uh, I got contacted by Andy, who said that Sam says I wasn't a complete scumbag and did things more or less on time. 
And since there's absolutely no one else to talk to, um, would I mind doing this, this, uh, the age of rebellion GM kit by myself, um, on a really short turnaround. So, uh, uh, naturally because I had been lobbying for such a job, I was like, uh, yeah, I'll totally do that. So, uh, um, he gave me like, I don't know, it was like 25 days or something to produce the entire thing. Good. And, God, dude. And the result is what you see in front of you. Yeah. That, that doesn't include playtest, does it? I unfortunately myself had no time to play test because of the short turnaround. So sometimes in this business, uh, the freelance writers will be diligent enough and, and good about writing every day and getting stuff done where they actually build in a week or a few days at least at the end of an assignment to run their own play test before they hand something in. Um, sure. I, I've been able to do that a couple times, but <laughs> uh, a lot of times, like, I, I don't know, I've just been lucky in that um, I've gotten handed a few jobs. It's like, yeah, so we need this really fast and we know we're asking for it really fast, but do you want to do it anyway? And I'm like, yes, yes, I do. So uh, this was because of the short turnaround. I didn't get to run my own play test. So uh, um, I have no idea how it tested. I honestly have no idea how it plays, um, which is why I'm, in a way, excited to hear feedback from the forums and stuff like that um, to see how people are enjoying it. Now, that said, um, I didn't get to play test it. But as soon as I'm done with my part, it goes to the guys at Fantasy Flight and Fish, um, who was the lead on this, so I imagine he was running it. They do internal playtesting there first and then make all kinds of little tweaks and changes uh, mechanically. And then it goes out to uh, um, the playtesting teams and they get a chance to weigh in. And based on that, Fish gets to go back once again and uh, uh, make any tweaks or changes he feels improves everything so it's its Mm -hmm. best. You'll notice that at no time from the moment I hand an assignment in, is there a part where I just said that I get to look at it again and decide if anything needs to change? I was my, about that. Yeah, my part in the process kind of ends as soon as I hand in my final draft, unless I've done such a terrible job that they're like, yo, can you just rewrite this whole section? Because I'm not going to do it. Um, we need you to rewrite pages three, <laughs> four, and five to page 22. Yeah, so, I mean, luckily, apparently, Apparently, either, you know, nothing I've done has been that awful yet, I guess. But, uh, you know, I mean, I, I don't, I really, once once the, the articles start hitting on the website, that's usually the first I've heard of stuff. And uh, I'm usually as interested to see those as everybody else. And when the book actually comes out and I get to read through it, that's that's me finding out the same time as you guys. So, <laughs> uh, so far, tip, it's been typical to to read some of my own sections and, and uh, feel like I'm reading something new. So that's, that's always an odd experience. Plus there's like a year in between when I write stuff and when it actually gets to the shelf. So right. you forget some of the stuff by then. KB Friesen is in chat and echo base. He's saying, uh, so that's all it takes to write for FFG, like not being a scumbag and getting your work done on time. Pretty much. You would be surprised. <laughs> The bar is a lot lower than you think. Uh, <laughs> well, no, it's a lot lower than you think. But uh, uh, o- Owen Stevens, uh, who I'm sure you guys know or have heard of, he's oh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, he he worked on uh, Saga Edition and oh, yeah. all that stuff for Watts. He does a lot of his own stuff now. He recently for Green Ronin uh, uh, Press, which is one of his own indie presses, yeah. held yeah. an open call for freelancers, uh, to which I had several friends submit, and. Uh, um, not not as many people are jumping all over these open calls for writers 
as you would think. It's kind of hard to get a submission that looks good together and in on time. And then, you know, people people get busy and they screw up. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, I mean, if you if you can write coherently and get them what they ask for on time, they would probably love to have you. Probably any RPG business in the industry would love to have you if you're capable of doing that regularly. It's that latter part, that deadline. Right, right. No, you have to you have to give them what they ask for, which means you can't just give them something. It has to be what they asked for, what they assigned. Right. And uh, um, it has to be coherent. It has to be understandable, reasonably well-written, and it has to be on time. If you can accomplish all of those things, you could probably find work in this industry, I think. And wow. to some extent, it's, I want to say it's 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 I want to say it's kind of you know it it helps to know people like it's about as you, you always try to say it's about all about who you know right sure but um, uh, as as a good friend of mine uh, uh, and actually our our galactic adventure uh, made a very wise comment to me at Gen Con this year that I'm going to carry with me forever it doesn't matter who you know all that matters is who knows you fair enough but although uh, me and Ryan. Uh, our names got pulled out of a magic hat in the open call for FFG. So I, I think I think if you're capable, you you can get a chance. And it looks like Sterling's in the house. Look out. He is. And he's saying Owen doesn't own Green Ronin. Yeah, I'm just wrong. But he was definitely running their open call. That just happened. That makes sense. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's just Sterling's saying Owen's, Owen's own company is, is Rogue Genius Games. Uh, yeah. So no, he's associated with three companies plus Paizo. He's... Like editing a quarterly now for Paizo Pathfinder. That's right. He's a busy dude. Yeah, no kidding. <clears throat> busy dude. One of the few uh, uh, Saga edition uh, freelancers we did not get on the old Order sixty six. So. He's, oh yeah, yeah. We never get. You never got Owen. Never got Owen Casey Stevens. Never did. He's a nice guy. So yeah, they. I mean, Andy asked me to do it. And actually, the uh, Squad of the Squadron rules, I can't take sole credit for. I think, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure it was uh, Dan Lovett Clark uh, apparently had a version of these uh, going around in-house over at FFG. He's one of their uh, staff guys, I believe. And, yeah, uh, in the uh, module that I played in Gen Con. Sure. Very yeah. cool guy. Very good GM. Absolutely. So uh, uh, Dan had done up, like, a, a basic version of the rules and I was given those as a starting point and uh, uh, I, I don't think they had like the formations weren't part of it I think it was really just the core mechanic of you could put guys in a, in a squad or squadron and if you get hit you could redirect it to them mm-hmm. I think that's uh, uh, that was uh, that's what they gave me and, and from there it kind of built out because I had you know I had word count to fill man now, what about the module? The, did the module was that written specifically for this, or was it adapted from like an earlier playtest adventure, like the uh, apparently the Edge of the Empires GM kit adventure was? Right. Um, so, Dead in the Water, I got when I got the assignment, I got it was maybe like five or six sentences of a summary of what the adventure was supposed to be from Fish, and uh, um, basically from that little summary, and the summary was something like. Uh, uh, the PCs pick up a shipment of droids, but it turns out they've been programmed to go crazy, and they do so <laughs> as soon as you bring them back to your Nebulan B frigate. And now the PCs, now the frigate is disabled, and it's going into a black hole, and you have to uh, save the ship, and then afterwards find out what exactly happened. So from that, I had to uh, uh, build up the adventure. 
Okay, so I gotta say, the Pirates of the Caribbean vibe in this adventure is is strong. Oh, it, it is strong. I'm not gonna lie. Dude, Maybe too strong. Dude, but... Port Tuga? Yeah, Port I Tuga. Know. Yeah, that one was a little overt, maybe. The Barbie Harpy? Yeah, although that um, that wasn't intentionally from... What would the Barbie Harpy... I mean, maybe just vibe-wise, but... Um, vibe-wise, just strictly vibe-wise, right. yeah. Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, and uh, One-Armed Amos, and... Yeah, uh, yeah there, there's a lot of... All you're missing is a Kowakian monkey lizard with an attitude, I'm just saying. Yeah, um, okay, I'll work on that next time. <laughs> next time. But yeah, Portuga was obviously a, a Tortuga reference, no question. Uh, right. But I love it. I love Portuga. In fact, I think when the fight starts in the Barbie Harpy, I have like fiddle music playing or something like that, which in my <laughs> head was definitely some Pirates of the Caribbean fight music. I yeah, you talk about it here like there's the uh, how how any band worth its salt doesn't work you know, no band is a band on portuga until it can play through a bar fight <laughs> you've got something like that in there about that yeah it's portuga is a fun place plus there's a biscuit so, bear in there if, if you need yeah because <laughs> hey every now and then you need fast food oh uh, there's there's a lot of fun little EU things that I put in here. I think partially because I knew it was a short turnaround, and I figured they don't have time to stop me. All right, so so let me no, jump no one at LFL. <laughs> it's gonna have <laughs> time to. But go ahead. No one, no one at LFL is gonna stop you. <laughs> they, they're yeah, they they they're not gonna have time to read all this and notice <laughs> all the stuff I snuck in there. So There's... so let me ask you that question. Let let you you've hinted at it twice before. Uh, what hidden Easter eggs do we have in here that you'd care to share? Um, man, there's a ton. So, um, I actually, there were so many in here that I ran, uh, like an EU legend scavenger hunt on the FFG forums, like right after this book came out. Uh, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. So there were like, there were a few questions that I asked that to find the answer, you were going to have to pour through this module and take a few, like, you really had to be pretty familiar with the EU to even just know where to start researching, once you sure. found the question and there were like three questions and whoever could answer all three of them first was going to win a free copy of, uh, it ended up being a free signed copy of far horizons, which, uh, hysteria was the name of the user on the FFG forms. He was my winner. He got all three questions and I think it took four days, which wow. if you, if you imagine there's just three star Wars trivia questions open to all the star Wars fans of the FFG forms and, you told me that the questions would take four days to uh, uh, to answer. Like most people wouldn't believe me. It was funny when I when I first put it out there. Everybody's like, "So wait, what time are you going to be on posting the questions?" And I'm like, "Guys, the, the questions are pretty hard, man. Like, I think you'll have a couple days if you want a chance. Like, you'll have a chance." They're like, "No, no, 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 no. You don't understand. So, <laughs> they're Star Wars nerds, man. Like, they know this stuff, and this is probably going to be over in like thirty seconds. So." So tell us the exact times that we can make sure we're on. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I appreciate your your enthusiasm, but I'm telling you, like, I am that guy, and I'm telling you these are these are pretty hard. And uh, no, so I had to set a time, and uh, I, you know, I, I set my time, and then I laughed for like four days. It was great. Um, you post those questions up at crickets. Yeah. Oh yeah. Just waited for a while, and I got like a few. I got some cool guesses where it's like, wow, I didn't. Re- I guess you can interpret it that way. That's wrong, but. But cool, and uh, uh, yeah, there were there were some neat uh, some neat theories going on in there. But uh, as far as like some of the Easter eggs that are in there, um, 
there's a ship called the Conispex Crusader, which is yeah. an allusion to uh, the uh, Pius Day Crusades, um, where uh, Chancellor Conispex was running like this crazy crusade against everybody that wasn't part of the Pius Day religion. Like it's from uh, uh, the Atlas, I think, is where that was first introduced. Huh. Okay. Um, there's a, a spoiler alert: Agent Cogler, um, which is an, a character introduced back in West End Games Imperial Sourcebook. So he makes an appearance in there. There's uh, uh, Port Tuga is obviously a Pirates of the Caribbean reference, but uh, right. uh, he, uh, uh, the Port Tuga, the, the station itself, is actually, uh, um, there's a lot of references to Gree stuff going on with Port Tuga. Um, the Biscuit Baron makes an appearance which is from, I think, West End Games Star Wars Adventure Journals have the Biscuit Barons in them. Yep. Um, yep. General, General Aaron Kraken gets referenced, who's another West End Games guy slash Return of the Jedi deleted scene guy. I uh, love any time Aaron Kraken's brought into it. Oh, and that's my guy. For fandom comics, one of our fan comics was uh, Kraken's Crew, so it's about special yep. operatives that work for General Kraken. So, like, any time there's a chance to talk about Kraken, like, I'm probably gonna. Uh... And then uh, the Tegan Tech Consortium, which was from, like, Ryder Wyndham, some children's book that he wrote. Like, there's the Tegan or something like that. And then I think uh, the most – the thing I was amazed actually made it through was the ISP-6 shuttle, which was uh, one of the uh, uh, Kenner toys, like the little mini rigs. Yeah. Yeah. That's that thing. That's in there. So that's in there and has stats. I. I was shocked I that, that I got away with that. Christmas. Yeah. I love that thing. Um, so that's in there. Um, and then, of course, Sterling Hershey's uh, uh, great Far Orbit project, his Nebulon B frigate uh, maps, the deck plans, those yep. were used uh, along with the cross-sections. But, like, those maps were how I built that adventure because that kind of showed me how to get around the Nebulon B frigate. And without that, it would have probably just been a mess. So uh, um, those were those were a big help in those maps, like the specific uh, rooms and decks and how they organized the Nebulon B and Far Orbit project from West End Games had a lot to do with uh, that adventure and its reference throughout. And there's probably a hundred other things that I just couldn't think of in the moment. But there there's a lot. There are a lot of EU references in, in the guide here. And they're all I mean, they're all minor and they don't really matter if you know them or not. But for me, like, I always like it if it's like when I'm reading a novel, a Star Wars novel or an adventure model, module, and I see something and I get to point at it and giggle and say, oh, I, I know what that means. <laughs> Even if it doesn't really have much uh, um, impact on the overall adventure or story. It's those little, those little nods that you just enjoy putting in there. Right. No, because I, I mean, I love this stuff. So and I know it pretty well. Like I do own a complete. West End Games Library, the Watsi Library, the novels, the children's books, the comic books, the video games, the reference. You know, I have it all and I've read it all. So uh, um, it would seem criminal to have all this at my fingertips and not sneak stuff in when when it, it's ripe for it. <laughs> That's epic. So you got this write-up from this, this, this what, four-sentence synopsis from, from Fish. Right. That said, here's what the module is to be about. And but the but the actual the the actual storyline itself is up to you. Uh, in the course of writing it, did you have any specific themes or inspiration in mind while writing Dead in the Water? 
Well, like what he gave me immediately, what popped into my head is like, oh, so this is like it's a, uh, um, it's Die Hard, but on a Nebula and B frigate. Like that's kind of <laughs> now like, I know what a TV dinner feels like. <laughs> exactly, and you are crawling through the ventilation system. I think that's one of the early options is to go and reactivate the ventilation stuff. Uh, so it was like that movie, and also Steven Seagal's Under Siege. <laughs> uh, those were like those were the two movies that I was thinking of the most, other than obviously Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, when I was when I was writing specifically episode two, that's when you're actually on the uh, uh, the the Shadow Raptor and trying to save it from being sucked into a black hole slash droid takeover. And as uh, uh, an under siege reference, I think that the droid's name is TJ Eleven, right? So it's yeah. TJ is Tommy Lee Jones. So. Oh, gosh, that's <laughs> great. He's, he's, the ba- he's the bad guy in Under Siege. So. <laughs> wow. At least for me, that's what it was. It doesn't have to be. but Sterling Hershey's in chat. He says, I'm impressed you have stock ships. Even I don't have that one. Oh, I do have Ye- stock ships. Absolutely. Yet, he says, yet. Is he, is he threatening to come to my home and steal my copy of stock ships? Because I will hide it. I need to buy a safe. I also I have all the Star Wars Adventure Journals, all the Star Wars Gamer issues. No, I have a ton. The library, the reference library is pretty complete. The only thing I don't have hard copy of are those damn uh, fact files because they were they were so tough to get out here. Mm. So, getting back to uh, um, the module itself on page three. It talks about the sidebar that says the string of adventures, and it says that there's a recommended order to playing the various Age of Rebellion uh, adventure products that were produced, uh, starting with the beginner's game, the online follow-up, uh, the adventures provided in the AOR beta, and then the one from the core rulebook, and finally Dead in the Water. Uh, that's quite a campaign arc, easily several months, if not a year's worth of adventuring. Now, do you know if all these modules were written with the intention to be run as part of this larger timeline? Right. So, I mean, I could tell you that that sidebar was something that I kind of pitched to Andy a little late in the game. So as cool as it would be to say, well, well, of course they had this epic arc in mind. It was more like, hey, um, I really like to get early copies of everything that I can, even if I didn't work on it. What excuse can I make for Andy to send me digital copies of everything I didn't work on? For <laughs> and I was like, how about this sidebar? And and he bit on that. So I was like, cool, I have copies of everything now. Although some of it was just, some of those adventures hadn't even been uh, uh, written yet at the time, I think. So I just had like summaries. And I think it's possible that uh, one of the adventures I list, it even it's, has the wrong name. It has like, a name that playtesters might be familiar with, but that the final product wasn't actually called. Oh, I forget, no. I forget which one that is. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, so uh, absolutely, it was more like, I, I, first of all, I, I did see on the forums that a lot of people were asking for this sort of information for the, the Edge of the Empire material. And yeah. I thought, like, oh, well, here I am working on this anyway. It'd be cool if... Um, we could solve this problem before it crops up. And just looking at everything, obviously the the beginner box and the first downloadable adventure are kind of built to go one after the other anyway. Yeah, right. So that part was easy. And I kind of knew that uh, the uh, uh, the beginner box was where you want to start, right? Because it's built That's for characters with almost no X. Ex- yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that part kind of crystallize itself and then with the rest of it it was just a matter of 
reading the adventures and trying to find some sort of uh, easy to explain reason why it would happen in that order. So, sure. yeah, that that was that was definitely something kind of tacked on. So, what about Operation at Adra? Where does that would that fit into this arc? Um, so the cool thing about Arda, one of the cool things about Arda, there's several, but one of the cool things about it is that how well, uh, how good a job it does of bringing characters from Edge over into Age. And I wouldn't want to take away from that by saying like, yeah, just start that right after this. However, I, I mean, yeah, man, if you're willing to modify, um, the opening a little bit or just have it so that like. Because of your expertise, you're being trusted to actually come to this important rebel base. You know, like gotcha. your your duty is high enough now to be trusted to actually uh, see this 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 mm-hmm. uh, this base. Um, I could see you tacking it on right after. I think yeah, dead in the water. You could go right after dead in the water, or even right before. You can mix and match a little bit. But sure. uh, yeah, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with adding Arda at the end. I don't think there's anything wrong with starting with Arda either. But now you're going to have to upgrade the the difficulty of everything that comes after because you're going to gain a ton of xp doing art up first right but that can work too so if you're up for it we've got a few listener questions that are are hinged on this product totally um uh chris do you want to read these or uh, you are um, all right <clears throat> all right <clears throat> listener questions um first up darth omnid um, who asks, in many other games, GMs will use their GM screens to cover their notes and also to roll in secret. However, in FFG's Star Wars RPG system, rolling in secret is generally discouraged, as modifying and interpreting the dice pools is supposed to be a collaborative effort. Now, many other GMs and players I've talked to say they either like to just keep their GM screen to the side solely for hiding their notes, which could take up a decent amount of table space that could be used for rolling the dice, or lay the GM screen flat on the table so they still have access to all the handy tables and such and roll their dice on top of it. Um, unfortunately, the second approach means there will be less of an opportunity to admire the fine art on the opposite side of the screen. How do you personally incorporate the GM screen into your games, and how do you deal with the drawbacks of either approach? Sure. Uh, so at Gen Con, I was running... Um, I did playtest the, uh, the module for the, uh, the three-dog Kickstarter um, uh, once, but otherwise I was running this game where, uh, which in fact Sterling was at my table for that, uh, where everybody played as members of elite members of the, the empire, the 501st. And we ran through the events of episode four over the course of a four hour session from the Imperial point of view. Right. So you started out as stormtroopers boarding the Tanif four. And then, um, after you find that the, the Death Star planes are not in the computer, Leia obviously gets captured while you guys are having downtime and interrogated and reveals that the rebel base is on Dantooine. So who do they send but their guys to go check out Dantooine? You go, there's nobody there. Anyway, you get back to the Death Star, watch it explode, and rescue Darth Vader from dying horribly in in an out-of-control crash. But while I was running those games, I ran those games without a book. I think all I had were dice, the brand-new adversary cards from uh, FFG, which were released at the event, and uh, a GM screen, and that's all I had. And uh, that's really all I needed. And as far as how I used the screen, I tended to just leave it flat, fold it up, and I kind of was only opening it to reference the critical hit tables. That that, that was the, the only time where I had to open it every time. Otherwise, I'm not sure I opened it for much else. 
Um, nor did I need a book to open either. Like after you've run the game enough times, it's kind of, it's a system that lends itself really well to shooting from the hip and, uh, um, just playing it Jay Little style, I guess. I had a lot more <laughs> mental planning done than Jay Little ever does when he runs one of his amazing games. But, uh, I mean, I, I didn't run it with a module or a book or I just had adversary cards, dice and a GM kit. That was it. Hmm. There awesome. you go. Awesome. I leave my screen flat. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. I've, I've started to do that, too. I've started I just, to do it, too. Yeah. Hmm. I just I feel like you don't want a barrier between you and the players in this system so much. So much it's very collaborative. Uh, yeah. Right. I, well, and you don't want to build an adversarial relationship in this game between the GM and the no, players. No. Like, a lot of other games are built around that, right? Like, it's us versus the Dungeon Master or whatever. Yeah. And this this game just... That's not what it's trying to be. It's collaborative storytelling. Yep. So uh, um, to collaborate, you don't want this giant wall in between you and your collaborators. That, that doesn't sound good. Yeah. So and yeah, it's generally that the die rolls are just the die rolls. I mean, in some cases, I know GMs are like, "Oh, that's supposed to be a critical hit, but the PCs are getting pounded, so I'll just fudge this roll, and we'll say it's just a regular hit or even a miss entirely." But but you could spend a triumph on anything. It doesn't have to be a critical. Exactly. That's exactly. the thing. That's the thing. But I, I will tell you that, like, I'm, you know, when you when you go playing the system as long as we have, I get to the point now that I can glance at the dice for about a second and a half, and I can totally, do, I at that point, I've read the dice, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have to do, I don't have to spend, you know, 10 seconds doing the cancellation. Um, and there, there have been more than one instance in a, in a public game where the PCs are getting really pounded and just for the good experience, I want to fudge just a bit as a good GM needs to do on occasion. So I'll throw the dice down, read them in a heartbeat, snatch them back up before the players get a really good look. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there you go. Then it's just, it's Chris's world and you'll do whatever you want. I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's always usually to like, um, the only time I really have, have ever done it is when, um, it's I, I, I'm gonna hit you, but I don't want to hit you for 14 points of damage. I want to hit you for nine. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's 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 kind of why is you know people people oh it's a hit and two advantage and people don't question where you had more successes there than a yeah um so anyway so our next listener question um comes from Swift Draw and fair warning uh, for the next five minutes guys we do have some spoilers here uh for dead in the water because he has some questions about the module itself keith okay fair enough uh so as far as dead in the water itself in episode two uh, of dead in the water you're up against a very strict timer to stop a lot of nasty things from happening he says well i haven't run or played the module yet the the time limit ticking down per encounter is is concerning given the number of potential encounters and obstacles so my questions are these was this an issue during playtesting, um, or have you received feedback with this as an issue? Could an extremely quick combat, like one to two rounds, not trip the timer? Um, and lastly, uh, to use a question a former player of mine posed, could a paranoid group, which is almost every group he's GM'd, suspicious of the cargo, use a computer and or mechanics check to detect an issue and possibly mitigate the whole mess? Um, I read that as clearly the fun, but hey, PCs will be PCs. Sure. So I'll answer those in order. So as far as it being an issue during playtesting, as I kind of said before, I don't know. Um, Who knows? They <laughs> left it in, so I'm going to guess that it wasn't But I, uh, as far as the the, count, the event timer works. But uh, as far as like what the idea, what the intentions were with the event timer, for me personally, um, there, there's a... Uh, uh, 
one thing I love that when I run a game, my favorite thing to have happen in a game is to have my PCs not all um, with the same objectives. Like I, I, I like to have a party with internal tension and strife and not everybody wanting to do the same thing. That's awesome. Um, that's just how I love to run games. That's just me. And in a system like this, uh, uh, things like obligation and duty really like, uh, they lend toward creating those situations because people have different things that they're interested in making a priority. So, uh, um, you get to create that sort of table tension at the table very quickly and easily. This is another pirates of the Caribbean, uh, reference here, but in those movies, the three leads are almost always working at odds with each other and only allying like in moments. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Before they're like, but I want to do this and they want to do that. And then they're fighting each other half the time. So I, I like games that kind of capture a little bit of that feel. And the countdown timer, um, one thing it does is help uh, really ratchet up the tension and uh, make it so that PCs have to choose, right? There is not enough time on the countdown timer to, to hit every uh, location on the map and do everything and save everyone. You have to choose. You have to choose, do we want to go this way or this way? And, and that choice is going to have consequences. So I, I like you know I like my games to have those kinds of tough decisions for, for PCs to make where it's not like, oh, well, here's the magic bullet way that we can 100% save the day doing everything right. There's going to be something is going to be missed out on because you decided to, to do something else. So um, the event timer was just our way of doing that. And if it is driving some of your players bonkers because they cannot save the day completely heroically and rescue every single person on the Nebulon B, uh, my response is, well, that's totally the design of the adventure. But if it is really killing your soul um, and you don't like making your players make hard decisions, you can always just add a few digits to the event timer, I suppose, and it would allow you to accomplish more of the things. So if the event timer is like when it gets to eight or something, I don't know. I'd have to look at the page to remind myself how the event timer works. But uh, if you just add a few numbers on there before the ship would get sucked up by the black hole or before some of those events would happen, you should be able to uh, accomplish accomplish more. Okay. Um, then as far as could an extremely quick combat, one to two rounds, not trip the timer. Total GM fiat, man. Like if, if your guys launch an ambush and it's like one or two rounds of combat and you mow everybody down and you feel like that should not move the event timer up, then I guess it won't. Uh, like I don't think having that happen every once and again is not going to uh, break the purpose of the event timer. So I personally would be okay with that. Obviously, anything I say... Uh, it's what works at your table, man. So, like, if this doesn't sound like making your players make these hard decisions for you, just make, you could get rid of the event timer and just do it whenever it's convenient for you uh, as far as the events on the timer. Um, or, you know, you can, you can get rid of it all together and just be completely narrative about the events. But the event timer is there to, to ratchet up pressure. So I wouldn't allow them to do that multiple times in a row. But if they do have one combat that goes really quickly and they hit a triumph or something like that, I might allow it. Um, and then uh, the final part of that question, uh, the former player of yours uh, hoping uh, to scan, use mechanics or computers to uh, check the cargo and uh, um, see if there's something wonky with the droids before taking delivery. 
I would say, of course they can do that uh, if they want to. And yes, that would kill a whole bunch of the fun. However, is the GM, um, you should allow them, you should say, yes, you can do that. But uh, there's a few problems with doing that. I would say there's the, there's like one chip inside the droid brain or whatever uh, that reveals what this problem is. So they would have to literally take the whole droid apart, which could take hours. And, uh, um, you know, it'd be a pretty detailed check they would have to do. It'd also be difficult because they don't know what they're looking for. They're just looking for something wrong. Um, so uh, I would say you could do it, but it will take several hours and the Rebel Alliance kind of waiting on these droids. And if they decide to do it again anyway, especially if they decide to do this before taking delivery, which means they're probably doing it in front of uh, Shindy and Cog, right. um, they could probably push a little button or something and... Oh no, an Imperial patrol has been spotted at the edge of the system. Right. And now you can ratchet up the pressure for them to, oh, I guess we should just take them and leave. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't tell them they can't do it, but if they want to, they might have to do it while under TIE fighter attack. <laughs> then, you know, that's that's up to them, I guess, ultimately. These things happen. Yeah, you know, I mean, sometimes you just want to check the droids while you're being shot at. So... No big deal. And, so, and Tie Fighters—they just—they just come out of nowhere. It's what they do. Uh, you know, it's it, maybe they're Tie Phantoms. Totally, yeah. totally, totally. You know, I don't know. I don't know. It's—it's it's an intelligence operation, so they're going to have access to uh, some pretty slick stuff. Cool. Well, our last listener question um, on uh, the the GM kit and Dead in the Water itself uh, was from Shockwave, who says. Um, another Dead in the Water question. On page 28 of Dead in the Water, uh, the optional rules mentions that any time a squad leader takes a hit, he can allocate that hit to a minion. This sounds very much like the Imperial talent, Imperial Valor. Um, how can I narrate the squad leader to make this seem less dishonorable? Totally. This is actually not the first time I've heard this question. So uh, um, the way this game works, though, is that um, you make your check. You interpret the die pool, and then you narrate what happened. So uh, um, as the squad leader, you would absolutely be deciding whether or not your guy is going to take a a hit for you before the narration begins, right? So um, the narration of these attacks that go to, to other guys can either be they jumped in front of it to protect their squad leader, or um, you're impacting the narration. You're not impacting the, uh, you're not, you're not altering events, right? So you can just say that he shot at that guy instead. That's who he was aiming at. Um, you don't you don't have to uh, say, well, it was coming for you, but because you redirected it, you pulled one of your guys right in front of you. You can absolutely narrate this from a completely different direction. Well, it, just because you make the decision doesn't mean that it's you. I mean, it's like... You right. could just as easily say, uh, you know, he saw the black, you know, your your the the, the minion with that you inspired with leadership to pull together. He saw the blaster shot coming and he dove in front of it. Absolutely, um, th- I mean that's that's totally valid. Um, if it happens nine times in a row, it could start to get a little strange. Um, but you could you could you know when appropriate, that's great to use. Okay. But um, the easiest way I think is. Uh, uh, just to say that's the guy who was being shot at in the first place. Because they're targeting the squad, right? You're just redirecting the hit. They're right. not necessarily right. targeting you. The default is just that, that it hits you. How many times like video games and stuff like that where you're firing against a equivalent thing, you're fighting a squad, a group of minions that comes at you, 
every now and then you're you just get target locking like you know what i should be hitting the big bad the, the boss of this but i just really want to take this minion down so you're attacking yeah like you say you're attacking the squad right. so yeah. and they're targeting the squad they're not targeting you Right. So you're lowering the, the, the DPS, I guess, if you want to look at it in video game terms. You know, you take out some of the mooks first uh, before you yep. focus on, on the big bad by himself. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's narration happens after die results. So um, I, I wouldn't look at it as, as uh, the squad leader deciding, oh, you, it's your turn to get shot. It's more the player deciding, I'm going to let that hit, hit a minion instead. Right. And then it can be narrated as that minion was standing out of position and exposed and he got shot. Now, Shockwave's had a, a second part to his question. He says that that same sentence mentions that the hit destroys, disables, or otherwise eliminates the minion. He wants to know what about blue weapons with blast rating, and we did talk about this. Yeah, um, he says, you know, you know, do the hits wipe out, do, do, do the hits wipe out the squad regardless of the blast rating? Right. So the answer to his question is no, that's not the case. If, they, if, the, if a, a weapon with blast rating hits and it gets redirected to a minion, that minion dies. If blast is inactivated, the, the blast rating and damage gets done to everybody in the squad, but um, it does not instantly kill everybody in the squad unless the damage is that high. Hmm. Yeah, because even though they're part of your squad, they, they don't lose their, their individual stats. Correct. Uh, the only time uh, that happens is when you redirect a hit. That minion specifically does not. We don't deal with their soak or their or their wounds. They just die. Just done. Yeah. Right. And and uh, um, that's just because it eliminates a whole lot of bookkeeping and it makes life a lot easier and it keeps <laughs> play moving a lot faster. Really. Um, instead of being like, okay, so this minion that I redirected it to, and it plus it stops PCs from getting into the bookkeeping where they're like, I'm going to have a different minion take each hit so that they're all to maximize my survivability and have everybody like wounded on, you know, with only one, uh, uh, wound threshold to wound to take before they're over the threshold. You know, um, it prevents all that gaming the system. And it's just, right. if you redirect it, they, you know, you can redirect as many hits as you have minions in the group. Right. I like how that's kind of kind of one of the design elements that I'm finding from the Star Wars system is that there's a lot of mechanics put in play to prevent people from gaming a system and from min maxing and 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 I like that that's kind of a, an ongoing theme. I think that's really cool. Yeah, well, I, I think that the idea of this game is not to be obsessed with with min maxing. Like, there's so many games out there that do that and that are fun to play that way. This this is just that's not the point of this game. Cool. That pretty much brings us to the end of the uh, of Dead in the Water and the squad rules. Um, I Keith, I think you did an absolute bang up job with this man. I I, I said it oh, at the top word. of the the the, uh, the segment, and I'm saying it again now. The adventure is solid. The NPCs are awesome. You gave me a little Kenner toy to play with, <laughs> <laughs> and these squad rules are just great. I love them. And I would just like to say that I think Zoe and her team of artists did an amazing job with this. The art, as the art is always, as always, as indeed. always. But one of my favorite things that I wrote is like art that I requested and that they they did was on. Uh, let me find the pages here. On page seven, you get to see yep. uh, uh, the captain and uh, um, the pirate captain and Cog. 
as mm-hmm. pirates, and then on page twenty-seven, you yeah. get to see them again. That's I like that they they did that. I asked them to do that, and it turned out cooler than I thought. Yeah, it, I question her good. choice of headgear, but uh, otherwise, it's awesome. Oh no way! That hat is awesome. It's just like uh, Captain Hondo and Anka's. Awesomely awful. Oh, I, think I it's like great. it. I, I like think it. it's great. <laughs> I absolutely you know, like. You it. know what? Um, and you, you say that now to, to Jane as... in Firefly, and talk about his hat and see what happens. <laughs> I'm sure if you talk to her about her hat, she's not going to be happy either. Man, where's a hat like that? You know, you're not afraid of nothing. <laughs> I, I, my, my favorite art in this was the uh, uh, was the various pieces with the with the the rogue the, with the saboteur droids. Um, all, yeah, all, yeah. all kitted out, man. A little C-3PX kind of inspired stuff going yep, on Yep, yep, with the little cutouts like, with the RoboCop-style weapon holsters and, you Absolutely. know, little 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 missile ports. And, you know, it looks like War Machine and C-3PO had a baby. It's awesome. <laughs> I love and then it. I was also uh, um, psyched that they were able to get the art from the uh, inside, the cross-sections for the Neb B. Yeah. And reprint yeah. it here for... This adventure because I was wondering like wow I'm describing all these places and are people gonna have any idea like what is where yeah. um, are the descriptions gonna be enough because I mean if I could have I would have been like so we need to reprint all of Sterling's maps in here and we're gonna need to add about ten pages to this just to have those because that's <laughs> what I was using to build the adventure but like there was actually a lot of back and forth on like what to do about the maps and like this solution they came up with I like it it looks great yeah. It's it's great. Yeah, fantastic stuff. Excellent. Keith, thank you for taking the time to come on and talk to us about this. Um, we really do appreciate your insight, as usual. My pleasure, guys. And, guys, if you haven't had a chance to pick up uh, the AOR GMs kit, it's not just a reprint of a GM screen and, some, uh, and a really cool adventure. Um, there is so much to be gleaned, uh, not only in optional rules in terms of, of squad, squadron combat, uh, but you know, other just just fantastic advice, wonderful maps, ships, NPCs. And it's just a great adventure. Go as soon as it comes back in print in your area. <laughs> and I'm available. sure it's still available at some stores somewhere. It's, it's just got to be. I think the, the warehouse ran out of the warehouse. Nowhere. Yes, yes. So uh, pick it up because it is awesome. Well, guys, what do you say we move on to some uh, additional questions uh, relating to maybe some other things? Of a more general sort? Of a, yeah, yes, a more general nature. Sound good? Very well. I'm good. Done. Let's do it. I'm going to be up to like... Oh, you dropped my bed, man. What's up? I said I'm probably going to be up to like 6 in the morning anyway writing, so okay. I'm okay. in no rush. All right, I know you're new to this whole podcasting thing, but you got to recognize the, the, the you got to recognize the drop break when it's set, okay? Totally didn't see it coming. Okay, okay. All right, all right, all right. All right are, you, are, we, are we good this time? You good? I'm going to wait till the music starts and then talk again. Okay, that's good. Now, are, are you sure you got this down? Are, are we... <laughs> right on. You, you sure? Okay. Can I open it? No, 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 no. A zipper, maybe? You can open a zipper or the window again. It's, it's all good. It's all good. Okay. All right. Go, all right. Go okay. Ahead, okay. okay. Now, are you sure? <laughs> If you have more to say, we can say it. It's cool. <laughs> I'm going to wait this time. I'm going to wait. I promise. You good? Okay. All but. Right. <laughs> okay. 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 He doesn't seem to take a hint, this guy. I was beginning to wonder if you'd got my message. 
messages from the edge. Boy, am I glad to hear your voice. I think it would be wise if you took advantage of my knowledge in this instance. <laughs> I'm freaking dying up here. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Obi-Wan sounded really judgmental in that clip in light of the context of me not being quiet earlier. I was, I was biting my lip because I knew that was coming. That was the best part. So, welcome, finally, to Messages from the Edge, listeners, our regular show segment where we take the time to answer your game and rules questions about the system. How, how, Phil, can listeners get us these questions? By interrupting a drop bed. Done. <laughs> now, uh, the easiest way is to travel to our forums and post them up. Uh, head to www.d20radio.com slash forums. Make sure that you're registered. And head over to the Order 66 podcast boards where you will find a Messages from the Edge thread. You can also email your questions to us at gmchris at d20radio.com, gmphil at d20radio.com. And you can also, if you're brave enough, leave us a question via voicemail on the D20 Radio hotline at 262-D20-RADIO. That's 262-320-7234. Excellent. And tonight's first question is a very interesting one from Aging Jedi 76 who posts up the following. This is my first post here. So to start off, thanks for this great resource. Well, thank you. We're glad you're enjoying the show. Oh, shucks. I just GM'd a team as they entered a base. After spotting a group of guards, two of the team members stealthily got up into an ATST to hide. The driver, after getting the vehicle op- uh, operating, decided that he would crush these poor Imperial souls. <laughs> so here's my question. How much damage should these guards take? Is it an auto-kill? Since they were two of a certain number of minions, I chalked it up to a rather violent end for the poor sobs. What would others do here? <laughs> That's an epic gaming moment, actually. Um, mm. I mean, guys, I, I, want, I want to know what you guys think on this. My, my opinion, I think Aging Jedi did exactly what I would have done, especially if they were minions. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, you know, Rock Falls, or in this case, ATSD Foot, and they die. It, it's cinematic, it's fun. I might do things a bit differently if we were talking rivals, certainly for Nemesis. Um, it, it sounds like, you know, in, in that case, um, a competitive check or even even a combat check is really in order here. And and that it doesn't have to be, I mean, you could make a, you could do a mechanics check, piloting planetary or even gunnery. It is a ship weapon, kind of. Um, yeah. I mean, either against standard combat difficulty or even make it a proper opposed check and get something like their vigilance. Um um, I don't know, man. Like, as for the damage, guys, I mean, it's like this classifies as ship weaponry to me. And sure. I, I don't even see the need to know to know what it is. It's like if, if if a person gets hit with a ship weapon, they're toast. Okay, it's just. I mean, we've established that. I mean, unless the that ATST is trying to step on a rancor, uh, I don't know if you need to know how much damage it does. And gosh, in that case, maybe you do. I mean, and what what twenty, <laughs> thirty. Uh- I would say that the the kind of the the established damage for a similar silhouette-sized object with move is a good rule here. Thumb here, ten times the silhouette, Ooh, if it's yeah. going to matter. If it's if it's going to matter, yeah. 
I, I would have to say that unless you're like squashing the Star Wars equivalent of the tick, um, anything that ends up underneath and at and, and uh, even a scout walker's foot is done. Yeah. Just yeah. done. Keith, what do you think, man? Oh, I agree. I'm all for uh, um, if there's a situation where you don't absolutely have to be doing bookkeeping. If it's in your brain, the 100% common sense is I'm in this giant walker and I stepped on a thing that should be squished like a bug totally, then then it is. And you hit, let's move on. Done. Done. Yeah, that's, I wouldn't even, not a second thought. Done. Absolutely. Well, there's three opinions that agree, Aging Jedi. Hope that puts you uh, put, puts your uh, quandary to rest. Well, well done. You done right. Well, you done right. Well done. Our next question tonight comes from Darth Bad, <laughs> who has an obligatory question. So I have a PC in the game I am GMing. We are in Beyond the Rim at the moment. Sweet. And this PC has a 20-point bounty obligation for escaping capture and execution by the Empire and possibly for being a Force user. The group captured a couple ISB agents on the wheel, and the player with this PC said that before he turns the imps over to the wheel authorities, he wants this ISB agent to make a report that he engaged and killed the character to eliminate the bounty and the obligation. Seems like a good idea for sure, but I'm not too sure that a 20-point obligation should be swept (laughs) under the rug easily. Any suggestions on how to handle this fairly? I'd like to reward his quick thinking and good idea, as he could have just killed the guy and been done with it, but he let him live and turned him over to the authorities. Any input would be appreciated. I, I know what I would do. I mean, uh, first of all, like I would definitely lower the obligation as mm-hmm. a result. I don't mm-hmm. think I'd get rid of 20 points, mm-hmm. but I might get rid of five. Um, Maybe To 10. represent that, like, hey... A lot of them think you are dead, although there's probably some guys at this point that are like, where's the body? Got to see the body. You know, there's going to be that guy, the devoted guy who's still looking for you, still believes you're out there. So um, I would reduce it to show that some elements have moved on to other cases or other targets, but not everyone maybe. Maybe not everyone got the word about that, but I would let it help him. And, you know, obviously I would require a a pretty – hefty coercion check because this guy has to be afraid of you even after you've let him go to write the report. So uh, um, that would be a tough coercion check to pull off in he, my game. He's still an ISB officer. It's one of those things like, you're going to write this report or I'm going to shoot you. Shoot right. me then. You know, it's like, it's he's he's an, he's an a conditioned Imperial. But I, I got to agree with you, man. I have a really hard time. Like, a, a PC-generated event, a single event, should rarely, if ever, reduce an entire 20-point obligation. I mean, the only exception that I might see would be, like, if, if I have 20 points of obligation that are all centered around a single debt, and I manage to pay off every dollar of that debt, maybe that would reduce the obligation. Even then, I might leave some be like, interest, yo. Totally. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it, – when it's the PC kind of going out of their way to do it on their own is one thing. It's another thing if you, like, have it built into the adventures. Like, oh, look, here's where this character gets to move beyond that obligation. And I hope that adventure has opportunities for them to take on other obligations. Okay, now I, I want to talk about that because that's an interesting suggestion, and I think there might even be a solution for that in this problem. But like to expand on your case earlier, man, you said you know maybe reducing it by five or ten, Keith. Okay, so that's great. So if this guy sends a report off to the Imperial, and I'm, I'm t- speaking from the player's perspective here, the devil's sure. advocate, it's like he just sent a report to ISB saying I'm dead. Why would that not clear the obligation? Well, okay, Darth Bad, here's the narrative for your player. Okay. 
Oh, it's Darth Bad. It's Darth Bad. There's three A's. I know. Okay. Um, Darth Bad. Um, so let, let's say your ISB officer sends off his phony report. You make a coercion check. It succeeds. His phony report is sent. What then? Okay. Well, your PC is still, still alive. Okay. That's great. But they think he's dead. And the ISB officer is still alive, potentially, right. because you've given him to the authorities. So who's to say at some point in the future he doesn't recant his report, okay, or get word out to the ISB? Or but, you don't get captured on Holocam somewhere. Well, that's the thing. The bureaucracy of the galaxy and the media of the galaxy is huge, okay? So, one, you you could you, you need to lay low for a while to ensure you're not captured on a Holocam somewhere. And it's the ISB. Do you honestly think that bureaucracy, like one report from one agent, is going to convince the entire empire and the galaxy at large that you're now dead? And right. they're not going to try to verify? Um, Especially with the words force user, suspected force exactly, user on there. Exactly, exactly. Pretty high ping for them. So considering all those factors, you could be well justified in explaining to your player that this is a five, maybe, depending on the quality of the coercion check, a 10-point reduction in obligation. It's going to take more steps, which can probably equate to time laying very low um, on the part of the PC to completely eliminate that obligation. But I had another idea too, okay? And Keith, you kind of... Got hinted at it and got my gears turning. What do you think? And I'm I'm really interested to get your thoughts on this, Phil. What if he removed the twenty point bounty completely? Okay, he removed the twenty point obligation, but it gets replaced with a ten or fifteen point different obligation that represents now the PC's stress at having to lay low and conceal his identity. Now this now that this false report is out. He's you mean something like blackmail? Oh, blackmail is a good option. There's also this book, Far Horizons, that came out, and there's some optional obligations in there, some alternate ones. One Such of them, as. I believe, is called the Witness Protection Program. Oh my, <laughs> my god! Which I right. think, which I think, would probably be able to be used in this case. Oh, totally, totally. With a little, little tweaking, a little flavorful explanation, that would totally fit. You're changing your name and your identity, and now you cannot let anybody find out who you once were, or else. That obligation is going to come right back. I'm convinced there's a house like five houses down from me that's part of the WITSEC program. <laughs> it's this bland gray house. There's no decoration on it. The yard is immaculate but utterly bland. The only outside decoration is like a pop-up patio umbrella. That's it. There's nothing else. There's have, an have you, sign. I'm have convinced you, it's WITSEC. Have you ever seen Arnold Schwarzenegger walk in or out of it? No. Or just a lot of dudes, like men in black looking dudes. He's like, he walks out, he says, pay no attention or you will be erased. Yeah. <laughs> Has anybody no, ever no. sat at, under this umbrella outside? Or is it just no. there? No. Never been used. The, all, all the, the water, the, the, the lawn is, some, the lawn is mowed at some point. So it must be getting mowed like while I'm at work or something. Now that you've exposed this house for what it is, if there's a moving truck in front of there tomorrow, you'll know you were right. Uh, that's true. <laughs> it's true. Or yeah. a big mafia hit. Either way. <laughs> Either way. Yeah, that's that's the other thing I'm worried about. It's like waking up in the middle of the night to automatic weapons fire. <laughs> because as we yes. as we all as we all know, Witsec officers and Guidos are huge Star Wars role playing fans. So no doubt. Well, I mean, I'm sure they just you know they bug surrounding houses. Well, what am I saying? The, the NSA is monitoring this podcast anyway. Right. Yeah, so, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, done. Done. Oh, God, I love it. All right, what else do we got, Phil? 
Uh, our final question tonight comes from a longtime D20 Radio alum, the Fat Raconteur. Ah. God, I miss that guy. Me too. Who poses the following. I have a buddy who would like to play a Kifar, uh, one of Quinlan Voss's human races, in my upcoming Age of Rebellion campaign. Not too big a problem, as I suggested that he could be starting as a human. But when he asked if there was any possibility as to using psychometry, I was a little stumped. I thought maybe using the 4C talent might be the option, but I'm keen to get D20 Radio's advice. Your ever-faithful friend, the Fat Raconteur. P.S. Come down to Australia sometime. We'll have to get a beer. Yes, we do. You guys have good beer. I found this very interesting. Now, like, I think his suggestion is fine. Like, from what we know of the Kifar, they are near humans, okay? And the only real differences between the Kifar and humans are the rare ability, and I want to stress rare even for the Kifar, of psychometry. And I think that's the first big thing to note. Like, before we even talk about doing this, that even among the Kifar, only about one in a hundred of them are born with the gift of psychometry. Okay. That'd be the lore. Yep. And, and, and Quinlan Voss was an exceptional psychometry user. And he was able to use it on living beings, and nobody else could do that. Um, but, and, and that was. He had the Force. Well, well no, even other Force using uh, uh, Kifar could not do that. Okay. Uh, and even you go to the Jedi Temple, and it's not like they could all do it with a little bit of training. It, it was like it, one it, of those it, rare gifts. It was it was incredibly right. not only was not only so not only is psychometry a ridiculously rare gift, but Quinlan Voss's use of it was exceptionally rare in and of itself, and he credited that to if you get into the 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 lore with, due to his specific training under Count Dooku. Um, so and and his extremely strong inherent force ability. So even if you decide to do this, okay, and do something custom for the keyfar, your PC should not expect to have Quinlan Voss's capabilities, okay? Um, it, you know, it is tempting to tell your PC that he doesn't have psychometry because that's not like normal keyfar. Um, you know, basically, you know, he wants to play, play a keyfar. Great, you're part of the ninety nine percent that doesn't have it. In which case, you can just use the base human stats. But PCs are supposed to be exceptional, right? So right. What, what's the fun in that? So I took my stab at this, and I'm interested to see what you guys think of it. I, I think I think it's a little clunky, but it's what I came up with on short notice, okay? If I wanted to make a Kefar race, species, I would do the following. Base twos across the board for all characteristics. They're near human. 90 starting XP. Yes, 90, because of the power of their special ability. And nothing else but one special ability, and that would be psychometry. And here is my personal stab at the psychometry ability. And I quote, A Kifar gains the 4C basic power and a force rating of 1, which can only be used to activate the 4C basic power. Additionally, a Kifar using the 4C basic power must be in contact with a non-living object and gain vague impressions of that object's recent past, not present or future. Should a Kifar become Force-sensitive, their gained Force rating replaces that of their species' Force rating. Now, this is in, in replacement to, to everything a normal human would get, so they yep. would not get the two free ranks in non-career skills. Nope. And right. they got and they got a ninety XP starting instead of one hundred and ten, right? So, which I, I find to be pretty fitting for the only species that we've seen so far, aside from the fan self generated ones, which this would be that have any type of inherent force ability. And you're not letting them 
basically start character creation if they're playing Force and Destiny as Force Rating 2 either. That, well, that's the thing, yeah. If you gain a Force Rating, it replaces right. this species Force Rating. Exactly. So, I don't know. That was my stab, guys. What do you, what do you guys think about all this nonsense? I mean, I, I think it definitely addresses the, uh, the concerns I would have right out of the gates for something like that. I mean, it sounds cool. It sounds fun. If, if you wanted to be the type of Kafar that, that has psychometry, like, inherently... But I think even among the Kafar that have it, there's training associated with it, right? Like there's, I mean, if, if it's me and it's my table, it would just be, okay, you can have it, you can get it. You just don't, you aren't trained in the, to be able to use it um, enough for it to matter right now, to like use it uh, to control it. So as the GM, I might give you visions of things from time to time narratively throughout the game. That's a good say that's where it came from. And you, as a player, if you want to gain more control over this ability, well, you can go ahead and spend the XP and become Force-sensitive and buy into the Force-C power. And, and uh, maybe I'll give you a deal on buying into the Force-C power if you're only doing it as uh, uh, psychometry because there are... The, the fact that you have to touch the object instead of just being able to meditate, there's some more limitations to psychometry versus plain old Force-C which is a little bit stronger because you could see anything you need to, I guess. Well, 4C is clear in that it only covers the present and the future, not the past. Fair enough. So, th- I mean, this is a slightly different sort of ability. But uh, um, I might do that. I might um, build uh, um, something similar to a signature ability from the, the talents. I might build something like that onto the bottom of 4C. Um there's a few different ways you could you could like go about tackling this, but my instinct would definitely be to be a, a narrative thing that I as the GM can kind of use at my convenience, or that the player can kind of like lobby for me to use at his convenience, um, purely narratively um, to start and and let him buy in because it is a powerful ability to have at the start of the game when everybody else is just like look at my yeah. hit for six damage lightsaber and my blaster pistol that I could maybe only have one talent to use with and, and that sort of thing. You know, uh, you, you make a compelling argument, man. And I'm thinking, like, if you really wanted to give them a species ability for this, maybe instead of what I just said, maybe 100 starting XP, two across the boards, if you wanted to make a separate species. Um, or, shoot, just make them human with 100 XP instead of 110. And when, if they buy into the 4C power at some point in time, they can use the basic power to see into the past, whereas others cannot. And that that that's perfectly serviceable as well. Mm. Could see that. Could see that. Mm. I, I think I think you just uh, <laughs> um, not that what you had before is bad. There's well, just there's I, a lot was, more going on. It's like I said going into it. I think it's clunky. Right. So I was eager to get I was eager to get y'all's take on it. I literally I I was like, mm, let me take spend five minutes and bang something out. But uh, it's a bit too clunky. You're right. I, narratively, I like that. I think Keith is correct in the sense that it needs to be trained, which to me screams of uh screams of skill uh keith mentioned something just just as you were uh, explaining where he said lore i could totally see that uh, have it be like a not you make a knowledge lore check on an item even though it wouldn't maybe not necessarily apply but you make a knowledge lore check and to be able to use psychometry you have to score a triumph hmm Oh, that, that's, I like that, too. That's pretty sick. That way, if you're cranking up lore check, you've got more yellow dice to roll, increases the odds of rolling that triumph, and the triumph is what triggers you, allows you to look back into an object and say, oh, okay, I am getting an impression of something. Dude, these are all three 
interesting approaches. Um, and actually, with with what you just said, if I'm not mistaken, with four C, uh, wasn't there? Don't one of these force powers have? Or maybe it's a talent instead. Where it, I think it's a talent in one of the the specialization trees, where it allows you to uh, use something and, like you have access to all the knowledge skills or something like that. It's a talent. Yeah, it's a talent. So there might be a way to tie it into uh, that sort of talent as well. Maybe I don't know. Hmm. Species ability, um, but uh, but I agree. It, it, I think it's definitely at least worth ten XP, and possibly those even those two non career skills. Yeah, I mean, it definitely depends how big a part of the game you want it to be. Yeah. And and the more powerful you make it, the more I would not want someone to have access to it out of the box. Yeah, making sense. Or as easily, anyway. Yeah, making sense. Yeah. Making sense. Starting character, the most that are going to be rolling is probably two yellows anyway, either with just one rank in lore or... Uh, or, or you know, they they take the two skill ranks, or they've got one rank, and they spend a, a destiny point to bump that up to two. No, the um, great thing about tying it to a skill is that it's going to scale naturally with the character. Character, yes. Sure. That's that's the great part about doing that. And in a way, it's the same idea. As if you do tie it to the force power, then you don't have to worry because they still have to buy into the force power. But, uh, and it also allows for folks to be able to do it like 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 Chris pointed out. Um, not all force sensitives, or rather, not all. You don't have to be force sensitive to have this. Right. That makes that's another element of it as well. Although I would I would imagine um, any of the kafar that have it are force sensitive. I would I would guess. I'm not sure. But I, the, the, I think all my research on it, the brief research I did, the EU wasn't clear on it. I mean, there's no lore around whether they are or aren't, but it does make sense. Right. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I'll say, speaking to the idea that this is something that requires some element of training, um, is that Quinlan Voss, um, part of his lore is that he he gets to witness the murder of his own parents, spoiler alert, uh, <laughs> from like 10 years ago. But uh, he witnesses the murder of his own parents by holding his father's uh, uh, like law enforcement badge that he was murdered while wearing. Right. So, And that like really screwed with his head, and that's part of what makes him so... Uh, uh, susceptible to the dark side right yeah so like that to me would be like the result of a, a despair like he almost suffered a critical hit almost that was never healed um by witnessing that by seeing that um or suffered a bunch of conflict or however you want to look at it right um so uh, um the fact that the more training you have the less likely you are to have like a despair or something bad pop up while you're trying to do this where it's right. gonna it's gonna cause damage to you totally now I guess the last thing to really note for this question is, and, and this is important, TFR, if he is going to make a Kifar, it is a requirement that he have dreadlocks. Yep. <laughs> that's, that's, and some sort of like a yellow stripe on his face, Yes, right? yes. We, and we don't know if it's paint or a tattoo or natural Can't coloration. Be sure. Can't be sure. They are near human. Who knows? But yeah, yeah. Yellow stripe across the bridge of the nose, face area, and... Some kind of stripe. I think yeah. some of them had different looking stripes. That's, that's true. That's true. true. Kind so, of Zabrak-like. That's right. So, so stripe across the face and dreadlocks, and you're 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 good to go. You're good to go. Absolutely. <laughs> well, good questions, Gamer Nation. Thank you very much. And that is going to bring our show towards its conclusion. Um, Keith, dude, again, thank you so much for coming on, talking to us all. Oh, my pleasure, guys. I enjoy it. Good times. Um, uh, happy, happy to have you on, man. Happy to have you on. Uh, we, I am, I am so pumped, 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 pumped. Uh, 
God, uh, uh, for the Ace Source book to come out. Um, <laughs> mostly because that's my favorite spec in AOR, hands down. Um, I just uh, love it. So, um, my favorite career. Uh, so, obviously, when that book hits, hopefully we can have you back on the show again to talk about it, along with maybe several others. No uh, doubt. If you are willing. I would be. Oh, are, are you sure? If you're gonna I, inter- if you're gonna interrupt I, my drops again, I might not have you on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's becoming my favorite part of this whole experience, though. <laughs> oh man. Um, <clears throat> well, Gamer Nation, uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Of course, uh, become a member of the Gamer Nation yourselves uh, if you're not a full fledged member already. Head to d20radio.com/forums, register, post your mind. Leave us a liner like uh, like uh, Len did uh, as Watto, um, or uh, Mike Stackpole for that matter, uh, and tell us why you never listen to the Order 66 podcast um, by emailing us, gmchris at d20radio.com, gmphil at d20radio.com, or again, call the D20 Radio hotline, 262-D20-RADIO. That's 262-320-7234. Um, and uh, give us uh, something good. Phil, we got some more. We we got some stuff on the docket, man. <laughs> Do we ever? Um, the Force and Destiny beta questions are rolling in, and you guys are really asking us to tackle some stuff out of that. We may get to a few things here and there in messages, guys. But we are. Con- I want to. I want to make a conscious effort to really kind of sidetrack some of that discussion until the first beta updates really start hitting, because yeah. we know some things are going to be changing. Okay, we we just know they are. That's the point of the beta. That's kind of the point of the beta. So uh, with that in mind, uh, we will be talking AOR fully. Um, it's been out for a few months now, a couple months, and we've been collecting questions faithfully. Um, and we are going to be getting uh, uh, Fish and uh, several others back on the show uh, to talk AOR in greater detail from a core book perspective and one of our lengthy Q&A episodes. Um, and keep the suggestions for specialization discussions uh, coming. Um, uh, we, you know, obviously have a lot more source material to draw from at this point. We have Far Horizons to cover. <laughs> it's a good one. Now, um, as well. So, uh, and obviously more coming as it comes, but, uh, get to the forums and let us know. Phil, any final thoughts? No, I think we did it good, man. Thanks again, Keith, for coming on. All right, Keith, any final thoughts or things you'd like to pimp out? Uh... You could follow me at KR Kappel on Twitter, um, or you can visit my author site at krkappel.com. Swizzle. Absolutely love it. All right, guys, this is GM Chris wishing you peace, love, and good gaming. And this is GM Phil. May the dice be with you. This podcast and related website are not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited, the Walt Disney Corporation, 20th Century Fox, or Fantasy Flight Games. It is intended for educational and informational purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names, pictures, or references to any Star Wars vehicles, characters, or other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited, Fantasy Flight Games, or their respective trademark or copyright holders. All original content of this podcast, including any audio, visual, or textual information, is the intellectual property of the Order 66 podcast and the Gamer Nation LLC.
Russia! <laughs> Man, I'm gonna slap the crap out of Skype or my internet connection or whatever it is is that just keeps dropping me today. You've had some crackles, but it hasn't been too terrible. Fortunately, a lot of the times when I've actually dropped call to the show, it was when I was just sitting here listening or where you could pick it up and run. Yeah. Um, well, it, on the plus side, <sighs> on the plus side, Phil, at least you haven't like like zipper windowed during the episode. Um, oh yeah, that's or, true. Or interrupted any drops. I'm just I'm I'm. I'm, I'm sorry. Nobody nobody sent me to broadcasting school before I came on your podcast. Hey, Dad. Nobody sent me to broadcasting school either. You know, it's no. You went to you went to the school of hard knocks, sir. <laughs> went to the school of hard knocks. I, I had no idea that window was going to be that loud. I, just, <laughs> I heard noise in the other room. I didn't want you guys to be subject to the noise, and I was like, I'll just close this window and be totally slick about it. Didn't work. Didn't didn't work out. You know that's okay. That's okay. So, okay, dude, Keith, you're are, are you going to come or try to come to Gamer Nation Con this March? I am gonna say I'm like ninety percent in. Awesome. Because, uh, um, yeah, I the the stuff things things that I'm working on all the things um, should be able to cover uh, celebration with enough for uh, uh, Gamer Nation Con, and I don't want to speak for him, but I will anyway because I always do. Um, I think Ryan is intending to come as well. Yes. Dude, I hope he does. We, I'm just, we had such a great con last year. Um, I mean, Phil, your brother was there. Um, yep, yep. And I'm sure shared many stories with you, but, uh, you know, it was our first year, you know, we had Jay Little as our guest of honor. That was ridiculously awesome. We didn't talk about, during announcements, our guests of honor for the con this year. Um, we, have, we have two on the docket right now. Um, we're gonna try and get a third or a fourth if, if uh, after we crunch the numbers after the Kickstarter's over, if we have enough extra cash and what the flight deals are looking like. But um, our current guests of honor right now confirmed are Sam Stewart, um, obviously you know at this point legacy alum of the Order sixty six podcast, the number of times he's been on, um, and uh, also with a uh, hard pseudo hard commitment is Sam Whitwer. Um, I see Sam's. Yeah, the Battle of the Sams. Um, Sam is like, I'm there. I am there and I'm there. Unless I got a gig come up. <laughs> if I'm working. If I'm working, I'm not there. Um, so uh, we understand that completely. But uh, that is that is the plan. So, yeah, dude, I'm, I'm just so excited. Um, Addy, uh, Adrian Mann, who's another longtime network uh, gal who lives over in, in England. Um, I saw this. I saw she's this. She's flying in. Um, I just, oh, it's going to be great. And... And all you and there's there's some there's some guys from Manitoba that are in Echo Base right now. We got some Albertans that come down. They came down last year. They're coming again then this year. If they can make it, you guys can too. I'm just saying. Just saying. I'm not saying. I'm just saying. No excuses. No excuses. No, I will. I will definitely be there. I'm gonna try to see if I can get maybe a couple other people from my neck of the woods down there too, because I think that'd be really cool. But uh, we'll see what we can do. Well, buy tickets at the Kickstarter now. I mean, obviously, we have a limited venue space that we can support. We we physically cannot sell um, uh, with the number of volunteers that we're going to be having this year. We physically cannot sell more than 100 tickets. The venue, uh, 150 tickets. The venue can't support it. Um, gotcha. There's this thing called a fire code. Uh, Damn it. <laughs> um, oh, my boy John Crowdis. He's uh, in the chat room. He's leaving. Bye, John. Sorry. Shout out. Bye, John. Um, 
So uh, for those who can't make the Kickstarter, though, for whatever reasons, obviously we're going to have, after, we, after do the, do we do the calculations, we'll have excess tickets for sale directly from the, uh, the uh, GamerNationCon.com website uh, where you should be able to purchase them with PayPal. So nice. that'll, be, that'll be all good and hunky-dory. So, oh yeah, I'm just, I'm absolutely thrilled and I'm, 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 I'm putting the polishing, the polishings on the first of my three modules, man. Um, and it's, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be fun. I'm so excited about these Inglorious Rebels modules. I am excited about your Inglorious Rebels modules because we talked about them briefly at Gen Con. I know. They sound like great fun. I told, I told you I modeled the pre-gens after the pre-gen PCs after the, the big characters in Inglorious Bastards. So. You have yep. to. I mean, you have to. You have to. Um, uh, doing Shoshana was fun. And it just it just dovetailed perfectly. It's like okay, we have this this poor Jewish girl who's persecuted by the Nazis because she's Jewish. So how do I correlate that to Star Wars? Well, of course she's force sensitive, right? Yep. So you know, I just it was the just mad... uh, it dominoes. It all just fell into place. It was perfect. The Mad Claw. Oh, the Mad Claw! I love the Mad Claw. The, uh, the character of Donnie Donowitz, the Bear yes. Jew. Yes. 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 Um, See, I was sitting there going, "Okay, yeah, I'm gonna head down to Gamer Nation Con. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll I'll bring down the the uh, I'll bring down the big leagues, the module. But maybe I should write another module too. And then I'm thinking, going, wait a second, there's going to be like so many other people down there with modules, and I'm going to want to play. <laughs> <laughs> Although I saw that, uh, the big leagues seem to be every time that I walked past GM Phil running the big leagues, his table was having a lot of fun. It was, I believe, Christopher West approved. Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, yes, in fact, it was Christopher West approved. I saw him playing there for a moment. Yeah, he he uh, he had a good time. He he he, he and his like wife he had a dead. great time, and 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 their buddy Rich, who, uh, they like, oh, can, can can we find room for Rich? I'm like, I, I think so, and we did, and it was a, the, the the what happened with the module, what I wanted to have happen with the module happened. My players had a good time. Mm-hmm. That's ultimately all I give a crap about. I think at That's the it. moment I saw you when my table had just wrapped up, I think that table had swollen because I think it was the last game I was running for Gen Con and, like, the last pickup game. I think yeah. my table, I had, like, nine or ten players at it or something. Something crazy by the end where I yeah. started feeling bad because, like, I split, I made them split party and I was kind of, like, I was running initiative where, like, I'd run through one round of combat in this sequence and then the camera would cut and I'd one, run through a a round of combat in the other sequence. So, you know what I mean? Because there were just so many people. And, yeah. Uh, uh, sure. Yeah. It it uh, it was uh, it, it was it was a lot of fun. But then I walked over and I was like, oh, but look, Phil has, has Christopher West, and they're having fun too. And I didn't get to play the Hutball game. Well, then I, that's more that that then definitely a reason to come on down to Gamer Nation Con. I I will find you a seat at the table. Oh, you don't have to sell me, pal. I'm I'm on the way. So. Um, it's just a question of if I have money quickly enough where um, I can make the airfare happen. Right. Yeah. Epic road trip. Mm. Mm. No, not for me, sir. Not for me. No car. No. I'm a freelance writer for a living. I'm not a, I only have a big time architect job like some of my co-writers on these books. uh, (laughs) You know, I can't, I can't fly myself all over the nation to to every convention and be uh, world famous and recognized. Oh my. <laughs> Dude. Okay, so one of the more exciting things about about um every time I do a module like for these kickstarters, I try to um because I love them and and because he's a show sponsor, I try to work in Christopher West maps whenever possible. 
Right. And, plus they're beautiful. And yeah, as I was saying, plus they're just freaking gorgeous. Keith, have you seen the the fruits of his last Kickstarter, the one that was right before Gen Con, the distant outposts? Yeah, I saw I saw I mean I'm friends with him on Facebook, so I definitely see like all the the feed when he's running a Kickstarter, you you definitely know it, which is good because like I always wonder when I post stuff how many people actually see it because yeah. of the way Facebook works. But yeah. uh yeah, like everything, these are the ones that like they're all separate, but you could turn them around and they turn into a big uh, uh, spaceship, right? A station. Yeah, the station, right? Yeah, or the circular station. They turn right? into this huge orbital station, almost like the wheel ish, the wheel s. It's yes, much smaller, obviously, smaller, but it, obviously it's um, uh, it's just absolutely gorgeous. And the reverse side is these um, four levels, like rooftop all the way down to sub level of a mining colony. Oh, wow. Um, Which screams of aliens. It, it, it screams of aliens, and it's got, uh, I mean, there's even, like, like glowing, uh, you know, smelters and stuff, and it's just, uh, oh, yeah, dude. I'm, I'm so eager. I'm, I'm so happy to be able to work these in. And like what uh, what uh, what, Keith is, what Keith is saying, the other, the other thing you can do is you can arrange the, the space station maps into the, the, the spaceship. Uh, into into the space station, but all these ships that it's that's docked onto either side of it. If you reverse the maps, you can put the ships together, and you yeah. put together this huge colony ship. Yeah, if you if you put them corner to corner, you get the space station. If you flip them 180 degrees and put them together with the other cor- opposite corner to opposite corner, you get this big spaceship, this new spaceship. Is awesome. He's a clever guy. Clever guy. Yes, he is. Yes, and and the uh, the new ones he was talking about, the Hoth ones, those kind of do something similar, right? Or the ice cave, I guess. Or are those like his five by eight? Uh, they're five. Card they're the card tiles. They're five by eight right. card tiles. Ah, nice. Okay, so it's a series of tiles. So you'll be able to put them onto existing maps, or use them as smaller maps and reconfigure them however you want. Right, right, right. So, no, his stuff is always like amazing. And speaking of cartography, since we're talking about it, can we talk about how awesome a job Peter? Uh, your very own Mav Richel, I think he's on your uh, forums. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, I, I, I've been keeping an eye on his on his website and on that thread. He's got some good stuff there, man. The the maps he did for that Phantom Comics module were, in my mind, off the charts. There's a prison map. Spoiler alert! Like I made him draw the map for an entire massive prison that holds tens of thousands of people, which in retrospect was a terrible idea to have a, a prison that big and make the poor guy have to do a map that big, but. Uh, like, he pulled it off so well, I was like, oh, so I guess that works then. But, uh, like, he did an awesome job on all the maps. And the space station map at the end uh, is probably, like, the most traditional, like, yeah. Christopher West-style map. Um, and, again, you know, he did an amazing job. And there's, like, we have we have the little range band indicator on there, too. I that, I was, was going to comment on that. It's, like... It's if people don't know what obviously backers of the Kickstarter already know what you're talking about, but he actually puts a range band indicator on some of those maps where it designates for you like a mile marker. This is short. This is medium. This is long. This is extreme. And it's and it's like a little like a little like a little mile bar at the bottom. So you could, you know, take your fingers and do it there and measure. Dude. Yeah. It's a ballpark. It kind of helps you out to ballpark. it. It's it's just I saw that. I was like, oh, so yeah me and him talked about that for a bad idea it's definitely not a bad idea i mean i do like how narrative this the range system gets but there are times like you know what i i I could use some help here well and when the maps don't necessarily have a scale yeah exactly you just need a sense of it just an idea i don't actually want anybody in fact if you look there's like some 
bleed over between the colors on that legend for the range bands to kind of show that, hey, guys, it's not 100% exact. It's really just this is what extreme range looks like on this map. It's a guideline. It's just a guideline. Sometimes you need that, though. It's just a guideline. Oh, man, I got a I'm gaming Saturday. I'm gaming in a week. I got my nice. my next session of my new alt U game. Um, now, which I've session heard about is this? this? I've heard about this. Yeah. Which which uh, which which episode is this? Oh, this is episode two. Um, episode two. Okay, dude. After our first session, Gen Con happened and a bunch of travel, and it's been you know a good month and a half since I've been able to play. Um, so everyone's been chomping at the bit, freaking out. Like, hey, we're gonna play again. We're gonna play again. And and this is. Um, <laughs> Uh, just before you go away on uh, trip again. Yeah, well, I had this cast tonight, so we couldn't play tonight. And um, tomorrow we have another packing party uh, at Dave's place uh, for the uh, Eons expansion um, to get oh. to get even more of those out as more as much as we can before I have to leave on vacation, um, so that I don't leave poor Dave by his lonesome doing all the shipping by himself. Um, um but yeah the 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 new alt you man i had like so my my for gen con my uh my road trip buddy was donnie bain who's our galactic adventurer who does the galactic adventure segment here and um he's a a huge part of also dfw nerd night down here which is you know you know board gaming you know and all that's you know he's one of his huge passions and um uh on the road trip back we spent a total of four and a half hours talking through my entire alt u2 campaign and okay. and the plot and him helping me refine it and stuff like that and and nice. you know oh could you do this or could you do that and you know because the fun about alt u is taking what we know about canon and just turning it on its head and uh you know introducing characters in a completely new way you know familiar characters and i'm i'm very excited to the mental trauma i'm about to inflict on my pcs <laughs> No, that's, uh, I mean, you've read uh, um, Dark Horse. Did, uh, they had a comic series that was similar to that. The Infinities, yeah. right? The yep. Star Wars Infinities. Yep. Those yep. were such great fun just because you kind of got to see it all again from a different point of view. Or they just did uh, a six-issue miniseries that was based on off like the first draft of the original Star Wars. Hmm. So it's like Yeah, yeah. The, the Star Wars. The Star right? Wars, yeah. So everything's completely different, but there's enough familiar things that you're like, wow, that's that's crazy. For sure. Games like that are fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, dude, I hope you can make it down, Keith. You're going to love it. The The venue we have this at is a place called Dallas Games Marathon. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's basically a large area that's two massive rooms inside of a strip mall. Um, the story goes that the guy who owns this place uh, is a huge board gamer. And, and uh, years ago, his board game collection got so massive that he had to build a floor above his garage and, and basically a rec room just to hold it all and to have a place to game. Wow. And, and when he found that out, uh, the, when, when his friends found out that he'd done this, they all came over and said, hey, can we come play? He's like, yeah, sure. So they started inviting friends, and they started inviting friends. And pretty soon, he had to like, institute a cover charge of a couple bucks just to keep the place maintained. Um, and when he realized that people were willing to pay that, he went ahead and got a lease. <laughs> Sure. I mean, at that point, on this strip center joint, and this was like seven or eight, nine years ago, almost. Um, I think it's like seven years ago. And uh, and dude, there are there are uh, uh, according to the website, there are over twelve hundred board game titles. Um, that's a lie because they just haven't updated it, and they get new stuff all the time. There's at least sixteen hundred board game Jeez. titles 
on the on like the wall o games and like so because we're renting the facility we're renting the game wall so it's one of those things that you know you know please be careful with the games and and leave them in the state you found them put them back where you found them because they're all organized specifically but you know if you're if you're bored or don't have anything to do just go get a game and play it and you it's like obscure titles crap you've never heard of i mean it's just you will never be at a want for gaming and um and furthermore we allow people to register events um, immediately. We have sheets where they can register an event after it's been done. Okay. How many hours did it take? Okay. Well, here you go. And a board game is an event and every event you, you either run or participate in, you earn XP, which is our, our currency for the convention. And the only thing that you can use to bid in the auction on Sunday, uh, where we get a bunch of, uh, of donated swag and games and other materials, uh, for, for a Sunday auction. So. Which is awesome. Yeah, I remember reading about that whole idea. I was like, oh, that is so cool. What? Why can't Gen Con do that? I was I was running so many games. Well, we oh, well we willfully and, and acknowledgedly, uh, shamelessly stole that from Reaper, who does that for ReaperCon. Which, fair enough, but that's the best kind of theft is when you steal something good. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, but but when, when, when people find out we're doing an auction, it's like, oh, great, where's the money going to? It's like, there is no money. <laughs> it's like we reward you for playing and running a bunch of games that's what we do which which also makes life easier for you as well. <laughs> and yeah. i have to worry about money and oh we still have to do that but uh um oh yeah yeah so i'm just i'm i'm, I'm tickled i'm tickled so no, what, what about you guys any exciting gaming coming up in y'all's futures uh for me um probably i'm gonna guess in about four or five weeks i'll need to run a game for something <laughs> i uh last tuesday i started up a force and destiny beta group on my tuesday night game and oh they're having a blast did you start them at night play or regular beginner characters regular beginner characters documents you did on the fragments from the rim blog Poo. uh the first chapters there and uh it uh, basically, I'm, I'm starting it off with the you know in in the same era. It's the Rebellion era, four months after Yavin, like all the other games are starting. Um, but the PC started off imprisoned on a prison ship by an Inquisitor on oh, the way awesome. to the Inquisitor's Citadel. That's a great way for PCs to meet. Yup. <laughs> it's like, oh, it was great. Where's all of our equipment? I'm in an orange jumpsuit. This sucks. <laughs> And hilarity ensued, and they broke off the ship. And in the process of doing, the the ship had some sort of catastrophic accident. So game started with an alarm, uh, with with the force cages powering down, an alarm shouting that there was a hull breach on deck two, and that the containment to the pr- brig had been compromised, and that security needs to prevent the prisoners from escaping. Uh, eventually, in the course of the PCs getting trying to get to the escape pods after they break out, find their gear, and mug a couple groups of uh, naval troopers, uh, they hear that the ship is breaking up, the abandoned ship call is given, and they bump into the Inquisitor on the way to the escape pods. Oh. Um, and the Inquisitor is studying this glowing cube as he comes off the turbo lift and sees the PCs. So he stuffs the cube into his pocket pulls out his double-bladed lightsaber and just tries to basically fight his way through the PCs to get to the escape pod. Uh, the PCs hold him off enough that they are able to kind of hook the bag that he put this cube into on his belt and tear it away with a triumph. 
just as the ship starts entering the atmosphere, so it starts tremoring badly. So the Inquisitor loses the loses the cube. Because of the ship is shaking, he falls back into the escape pod, shouts no as the escape pod suddenly launches. PCs grab the cube, all hop into one escape pod, and eject from the ship before the ship breaks up in the atmosphere. It's a pretty epic start to a campaign right there. They, they successfully land safely on this planet. They all get out. They kind of study this cube for a second, and all of a sudden a little hologram appears above it, and it says, Greetings. May the Force be with you. I am the holocron of Jedi Master Satil Shan. How oh, may nice. I assist you? Awesome. <laughs> and that's where I ended the first session. <laughs> that's pretty awesome. My poor brother. My poor brother couldn't roll a success to save his life in the game, though. <laughs> but sometimes those are the best games when you get to... Uh... <laughs> failure way to uh to success he he tried to he, there, there was a stormtrooper sergeant before the uh, uh before the the inquisitor showed up and he took a swing at him with his training saber and he 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 rolled a despair so i said okay your lightsaber you swing you miss your follow through hits the control panel launches one of the three escape pods that you're near only two <laughs> left now <laughs> he's like crap <laughs> Just gonna turn this lightsaber off for a minute. <laughs> that's, that's that's about what he is like. I'm gonna <laughs> stop. I'm gonna stop now. This is yeah. Oh wow, that's just God. I still haven't been able to get any Force Destiny rules on the table, and I need to have a talk with my PCs now that we've just started this new campaign because we're only one session in, and we had, do yeah. we do have a Force sensitive, and I need to have a talk with her about it. It's actually Cat, and I want to be like, I want to be like, so I know I made everybody take duty, and then. Um, optional obligation i'd kind of like if if you're cool with it can we talk about maybe not having you take duty and having you do uh uh you know uh morality instead yeah um because you're a force user and this is this is like incredible balance for your abilities and i think it's important um yeah oh totally is totally so i i think she'd uh uh yeah i think she'd be down for that um Plus, then you get to see morality on the table. And... Exactly. I, I, want, I want to get it on the table, and, and uh, um, things are going to go epic. I want to tell you guys everything that's going to happen, but I'm just so afraid because my players are going to be listening. Um, <laughs> uh, some of the crazy twists and turns I make. Maybe uh, maybe when we're off air, I'll clue you into a couple feisty details. But uh... You, you run a hell of a campaign. I remember the, uh, what was it, the, the pirate ship or whatever, the... the computer that thinks it's a pirate ship oh i loved that module that oh, was, yeah. um, my uh, it was it was it was my my first kickstarter reward module uh dead man's hand for last year dead man's hand yeah i think i think you had uh me coming and play because somebody didn't show up and you needed to fill out the yeah uh, that's right that's right when the you... party or something i played the evil doctor who <laughs> dr <yeah>. moreau <laughs> who who infected uh uh the bad guy in the bar that you're supposed to fight like I snuck up behind him and stabbed him with a stim pack. Yeah. But then convinced him that it was a deadly plague that I had collected. <laughs> That's right. And, and That's made right. him run away to the medical bay and we avoided the combat like that. Yeah, that was that was really awesome. <laughs> um, it was great fun. That was, was really awesome. Fun. The okay, so as many times as I've run that adventure, th- there is only been one time, and it was actually Donovan Morningfire, John Stevens's party who ran through it. There's a computer terminal in that room, right? And so, of course, I've got cool things you can do with the computer terminal if you slice into it. And there's an R2 unit in the party. And so their R2 unit did. And he, he rolled really well and basically discovered that he could turn off the gravity. Because, you know, there's these malfunctioning grab plates in the bar, right? 
Um, And so he disables them completely, and so the whole place goes into zero-G, and that changed the narrative incredibly. The other thing he did after that with, I think he rolled like two triumphs on that, was the other triumph he spent to activate the fire suppression system. So all this foam... Zero-G foam party. Zero-G foam party. And it was <laughs> it was awesome. It was just awesome. And then there was this cool little, you know, uh, you know, they're bouncing around in zero-G, and they can't see where they're going because of all this foam, um, you know, and, and taking blaster shots and using that to zero in on other people. And, and it's just, uh, uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was cool. It was a lot of fun. So. <laughs> Great fun. So still probably the most fun I think I've had in this system to date is probably the forgotten modules. Uh, but I will actually, I'll be running game uh, Saturday. I uh, um, I have a, an event. I do these, this will be the second one, and I have another one a month from now. Um, it'll be Rebellion Day, right? Next Saturday is Rebellion Day? Yeah. Yes. Um, so I will be running, I won't be running Sterling's, uh, what I'm sure is a Sterling module. Um, I won't have access to that, but... Uh, it won't matter because I will be running 30-minute demos. I'll be running probably like 20 of them um, at the Skokie Public Library up here just outside of Chicago. Cool. Um, they do Star Wars. Well, they're doing a, they starting a Star Wars event there. And I did one of these down in Joliet uh, a few months ago for the 501st. And basically what it boils down to is you have a table of players and most of them are six years old. <laughs> and, and they want a demo of Edge or Age. Okay. So uh, um, I had told these guys when I was first agreeing to do this that, like, yeah, it's probably best for kids that are at least, like, 10 or 11, and uh, it'll be fine. And then when I get there, it's all six-year-olds. And I'm like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? Like, I I don't even know if I could hold the attention of six-year-olds for 20 minutes, you know, standing on my head, let alone running a tabletop game. So, but I mean, I took out my pre-gens from the beginner boxes from edge and age and I showed them around. I was like, all right, pretend it's like a video game. Pick your guy. Who's your guy? So they all pick a guy and they all get a little, uh, uh, token from the beginner boxes that represents their guy. They're on a map. I, I show some bad guys on a map and, and, uh, really I didn't have to tweak the rules much at all. I got rid of the idea of doing damage. I abstracted it more. It was just the guys either, um, hurt or dead. Um, and then, uh, uh, depending on, you know, whether they really hit them well or not well at all. Um, and then I took out the idea of, uh, the destiny tokens. I just got rid of that. Um, otherwise like those kids after, after two minutes, three minutes, they were playing fine. And by the end of the session, they were all building their own die pools and interpreting results for me. So (laughs) I was surprised like how well, maybe it was just those six year olds. Maybe Juliet is the smartest six year olds in the world. But uh, uh, next area, I'll be up at Skokie, probably doing the same exact thing. And That's great, man. Yeah, it's actually it's a lot of fun because six year olds aren't um, bound by the rules of society like the rest of us who have been indoctrinated by them. So <laughs> their solutions to problems you present them with are sometimes uh, uh, you can't possibly prepare for them because you have no idea. And I was just running, you know, shoot from the hip. I had like six different scenarios. I think that I ran down in Joliet uh, based on the whisper base map. I think I did all of them with. Um, so uh, um, yeah, like they, they were amazing. They were amazing players. So I'm looking forward to Saturday. I get to do that again. And then I get to do it again on October, I think for star Wars reads day. That's awesome. At a different library. Yep. 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 That's fantastic. Dude. So dragon con just ended. 
Yes, yep. yes. Um, I got to give big shout outs to my buddy Chris Bradshaw, GM Chance. Yes, we um, do. Uh, because he won, uh, he won the uh, Star Wars category of the costume contest at Dragon, oh, good for him. At, at Dragon Con, which is like mecca. Now he didn't win it with a standard like because obviously, I mean, Phil, he's five hundred first. Oh yeah. Um, but he did a custom mashup costume, which was Leonidas Fett. Oh yeah, I've seen this. Yeah, I actually uh. saw it. Um, and you can you can essentially go to Facebook and search for Leonidas Fett, and you'll you'll find it. He built a profile just for Leonidas Fett, and it's this you know Leonidas from Three Hundred and Boba Fett mashup, and it it looks incredible. I mean, yeah, he won he won first place in the Infinities category. It was great, dude. Um, uh, dude's been working on that for months. Yeah, I've been we we've been a part of uh, watching him go through all this. I mean, everything from from resin casting his own stuff to you know leather working his own everything. I mean, uh, I mean, brass work, everything, everything. He's made damn near every piece of that from scratch. The three inch, the the, the three foot wide Spartan shield with the bloody uh, Mythosaur skull on it. Oh, dude, that that's the epic of of epicness. It's this Spartan shield from three hundred, but it's got that 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 Mandalorian Mythosaur skull on it, and it's you know covered in blood. Oh, dude, it's just. It, it looks great. He he. Uh, the 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 thing he finally did last was create. He didn't know what he was going to do for a weapon, and so he made this vibro axe that it looks like it's a combination of a Star Wars vibro axe and then something that the uh, that the Spartans would have made, and it it looks awesome. I definitely saw a picture. It might have been of him like marching at the parade or whatever, but it looks yeah. It definitely stands out. While we're shouting out people that went to Dragon Con, though, my. Uh, my boy Josh Mueller, who's also 501st, I want to say he's a, a CO at the, for the Atlanta Garrison there. Like he was kind of running the 501st presence. Yeah, that, that that sounds right. I Dragon Con. Uh, Josh is my boy. I've known him for like 20 years. I've known him nice. almost as long as I've known Ryan. Awesome. Nice. Yeah. So him and his his uh, lovely lady Amade down there, they were uh, they were definitely running it, and they're actually coming to visit me soon in Chicago for. Uh, the FARC, there's some sort of FARC.com uh, convention, I guess, here in Chicago, or meetup, hmm. or something that I'm not invited to, but that they're going to, and they're going to be <laughs> in my hood, so I have to see them and say what's up. Be in the hizzy. But yeah, they actually, I've known them, or I've known Josh anyway, since uh, me and Ryan have been working on stuff together, Star Wars nerd stuff, before Fandom Comics, we used to run this thing called... Uh, it's called NSU, New Sim Universe or whatever. And it was basically, it was a chat room based um, uh, RPG, like a mud or a mush, but without any of the programming, it was just rules. So <laughs> we had, it was basically a 1,000 person play-by-post email kind of game with our own rules for Star sure. Wars. But it took place more in a, a live setting in a series of chat rooms instead of play-by-post. <laughs> so uh, uh, we did that for years. And it was, we had 1,000 players at one point. And uh uh, Josh was one of the guys who helped us run that. Like that was something we, me and Ryan put together when we were like fifteen or something like that. So, wow, uh, yeah, little ambitious. It had many many problems, but you know, at fifteen, a cool little self-designed lesson in game design, I guess. But uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've known that guy for a long time. Now, Dude. did you say you were going to Celebration next year? I go to Celebration. Period. I will sell blood. I will sell uh, <laughs> organs. 
I'll, I'll do what has to happen to make sure I'm in Celebration, for sure. Yeah, Celebration 6 was my first, and uh, after going to Celebration 6, I'm like, I, I don't know what came over me. I don't know why I had never gone to a Celebration before, but I will never miss a Celebration again. Yeah, nor should you. Uh, I went to Celebration 2, uh, which was the first one in Indianapolis for Episode 2, sure. and then I missed 3 because I don't know what was happening Um I think I was just really poor. Um, and then uh, uh, after that, I forget where it went. But five and six, the two in Orlando. There were only two, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then the other one, it went to Anaheim, right? That was the one between the two Indies and the Orlando ones. I yeah, couldn't it was afford that Anaheim one. Like I, could, I couldn't, was. or L.A. or whatever it was. But I, I could not afford to get out there. So I missed two of them just financially. But then I've been to... The, the most recent two in Orlando, and I'll definitely be in Anaheim this time. Dude. My family and I will be going out there. We'll be hitting, uh, we'll hitting the convention all, all four days, and then on uh, on Monday we're going to go to Disneyland because, what the hell, we're out there and it's like across the street I hear. It is literally across the street. It's not kind of across the street. It's, it's, across, it's If you it's look right on the map, there. there is one street in the middle, and on the other side of it is Disneyland. Hooray! Yeah. <laughs> cool. No, I loves me from some celebration. Actually, uh, um, the first time I ever met Sterling Hershey face to face was at I want to say Celebration Five. We were both. I kept uh, we kept. Rec- oh, I kept recognizing him and being a weird fanboy first, but then after a while, he started to recognize me too. Um, at all the writing panels that they do at these things. So nice. uh, um, yeah, they they would have like a classroom of 150 people or something like that. Yeah. Um, and you would have like. Uh, Troy Denning up there talking about writing for an hour or two, um, just in general. And at the time, I was uh, in college for fiction writing, um, finishing up my degree during both of those, I think. Or I think Celebration 5, I was in the midst of college, and then uh, Celebration 6, I had, like just finished. Right. So uh, um, for me, it was kind of it was really cool to invalidating to hear like the same stuff my teachers were telling me at school sounded like the same stuff they were saying it. The, the people you know selling the bestsellers in the Star Wars books, so right, made right. me feel like I was on the right path. But me and Sterling actually hung out quite a bit at both of those uh, um, celebrations, which for him to uh, uh, let me hang around uh, him that much was really nice of him. I appreciate that. That's the kind of guy Sterling is. It is. It really is. Unless he was pulled aside by Sam Witwer, I didn't get to tag along for that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm just I'm not that cool, but. Uh, uh, but no, Sterling's awesome. If you get a chance to meet him at a con, you should you should go bother him because he's awesome. My first time meeting Sterling, we'd had him on the show a few times, and uh, the first Gen Con I ever went to, um, met Sterling for the first time and shook his hand. You know, oh, he's Sterling Hershey, oh my gosh. And then Sunday, me and my wife were roaming. Literally, we were heading to go do something, like explore indie, I think. And we ran into Sterling like in a hotel lobby. He's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna go walk the uh, walk walk the dealer hall on Sunday. You guys want to come?" And we were like, "Sure." <laughs> and 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 yeah, we like my wife and I just walked the dealer hall with Sterling for a couple hours, and you know, met some people, got to know him, and um, yeah, yeah, is it's it's very very interesting. I am um, doing what I do. I mean, it, I I still don't. Anytime someone says they recognize me or, or listen to the show, it, it's it's kind of unusual to me. I don't I don't know how 
like I mean, and so somebody who's actually has a reason to be reasonably well known, like Sterling Hershey. Um, sure. I, I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know how you, they. You guys, Sterling, you're in the chat, man. I don't know how you do it. <laughs> it's like it, it's it's just kind of it's just unusual. It's strange. Uh, yeah, and even uh, um, I think there was this one time where uh, uh, I went to a party. A friend of mine just was having a barbecue party at his house, and his friend happens to own and run uh, a local game store. Now, I hadn't been living in Chicago for very long at the time. I had never been to the Chicago Land Games Dice Dojo. But um, the fellow who runs it is a Star Wars, like, mega geek. He loves it. And uh, um, my buddy Matt was like, so this is my friend Keith. Um, Keith, this is my friend Alex. He runs uh, a game store, and he really loves Star Wars. You guys should totally talk. So, you know, I tell him, oh, yeah, you know, I'm a fan. I do this fandom. He's like, you do fandom comics? That's you? That's you guys? Like, and he knew, and he started asking me all these questions and talking about it. I was like, what's happening right now? I know. (laughs) I see how many people downloaded our modules. It was, you know, it's in the low hundreds. So, like, there's not that many people on the planet. I mean, they they got downloaded, don't get me wrong, but it's not like we had 10,000 downloads a month or something crazy. Like, it's a, a small group of people who are downloading fan content for Saga Edition, especially by then, I think, Saga had been declared to be ending soon. Um, right. So, yeah, it's always a weird experience, like, when you have something like that happen, I think. Which, uh, um, I even got a, a little teeny itty-bitty taste of at Gen Con. Not much, but, like, it wasn't that weird. I still had, you know, you gotta introduce yourself to people, but Sterling, like, you recognize Sterling from 100 feet away. You're like, holy shit, that's Sterling Hershey. <laughs> Um, I think, uh, uh, what was it? It was, there was a, a Star Wars day at, uh, the Fanny, Fantasy Flight Games Event Center, like, a year, a year ago, May, or something like that, and I was staying in my hotel, and I was walking out of my hotel to go to the event center, and I looked down the hall, and Sterling Hershey's, like, four doors down, walking out of his hotel room. I'm like, holy crap, that's Sterling Hershey, and then, you know, of course, I'm like, hey, you're Sterling Hershey. What's up, man? Because I'd already, you know, met him at two previous celebrations, and uh, you could tell he was like, "What's happening? That I'm being ambushed at a hotel." Um, How does this play out? (laughs) Yeah, right, right. Uh, But then he recognized me, and it was totally cool. Thankfully, I think it was totally cool because he gave me a ride over there then instead of me walking. (laughs) But like he offered, I didn't ask, so I think it turned out cool. But yeah, man, Sterling, Sterling's a man. Good people. Good people. There's some, yeah, definitely good people in this industry. This industry tends to engender that. It's hard to be a jerk in this industry and actually be in this industry. Mm. Continue to be in this industry. I say it's hard, not impossible. It's hard. (laughs) With all your hums and hums. I'm sure there's a certain level you can achieve in the industry where if you want to be a jerk, you can begin to be one. But I think to get to that point, it's hard to get there if you're starting out as a jerk. Yeah. Yeah. So I would think, I would guess. I don't know. Yeah. So unless you were humming about me, in which case, you know. Well yeah, but your your assholeness <laughs> is part of your charm, Keith. Right. No, that's true. That's, you that's you, you gotta come in with the deep Chicago with the deep Chi Town accent, man. You can't be angry at a guy with this accent. It's you, you can't. It's hard to take me seriously. <laughs> He's on a mission from God. <laughs> before, on a mission but, from God. <laughs> before the show, uh, <clears throat> before the show started, we were talking uh, pre-show, and it was 
that came up. He's like, Keith, Keith's accent is like, it's hard to take me seriously when I sound like a blues brother. <laughs> it's true. It's true. God. We're, uh, we're 200 miles outside of Chicago. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Yeah, it's... Hit it. Hit it. <laughs> it's it's definitely the, like that that uh, that Southside uh, Chicago accent that Elwood brings to the table. The, the Juliet J, the John Belushi character, didn't have it nearly. Uh, no, uh, no, as strongly. But but Dan Aykroyd definitely brought the Southside Chicago, and he brought it back when he did what was it, Tommy Boy? He plays yeah. like a Chicago uh, uh, car salesman or something like that. Yeah, car auto parts salesman and Tommy Boy. And he brings back like the super strong Chicago accent for that character too, which is always right. great to see. Always great. Uh, so uh. okay, so I have a question about Chicago. Okay, and this question is directed to both of you, because um, obviously Phil, you're an East Coast boy. Um, All right. When it comes to and keep in mind where I live, we don't have a distinction. Like when we talk about oh, you consider Chicago part of the East Coast where you live? Is that where we're going with this? No, no, I, oh, I think no. I know where he's going. I was, Go I was, I was, I was, I was creating a disparity between the two of you. Is what I'm saying. Mm. So when it comes to pizza, I knew this was coming. When it comes to pizza, is it New York style or Chicago style? What's the better pizza? What What's the better pizza? Uh huh. All right. So obviously, I mean, Chicago pizza is going to be better, but. Uh, for the sake of, of bowing gracefully out of this argument, I will say that during my time in the Navy, um, I lost like most of my sense of smell, ergo a lot of my sense of taste. Um, so it, it, I'm not the pizza connoisseur to have this debate with because all food basically tastes kind of the same to me. Pizza's pizza. So I order crappy pizza from Sarpino's all the time because <laughs> for like $25, I could eat for a week. Um <laughs> Whereas, like, there is amazing Chicago pizza if you want to spend $100 or, or 50 bucks on pizza. You know what I mean? For, like, a pizza. But, uh, uh-huh. no, like, there, when you're talking about deep dish, though, one slice, you are done. Sorry, you're done. Yeah. You're not eating two and three and four. You're not, you're not eating half a pizza's worth of deep dish pizza like you can with thin crust pizza. Um, sure enough. All right. And, so, okay, this, this is the Chicago opinion, though, but Phil... You got a preference? I, I I have to admit that I am more partial towards the, towards the New York style, where you get like this what quarter of a pizza thing that you have to like kind of fold and roll up, and or else it's just gonna uselessly flop everywhere and be completely unable to even get in your mouth, hmm. or you like hang it upside down like it's coming in like a crane. Hmm. You know you know the reason the slices of the New York pizza are so long and flat, right? Why is that? It's so that you could use them as a freaking tablecloth to put your Chicago style pizza on while you eat real pizza. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I like that. That's good. It's about all oh. it's good for. Oh, yeah, that's good. That's good to know. I like that. It's, it's, fan, it's, fan, it's fantastic. But I, I, admittedly, I'm with Keith. Pizza's pizza. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I personally can't. I mean, I will defend Chicago pizza to the death if I must, but. But uh, I personally can't. I mean, it's pizza. The only Meanwhile, I, I, I can't defend New York pizza because I'm from Boston. You are from Boston. Oh, right. <laughs> um, now, if we if we want to, we got to start talking about clam bakes or you know. I don't eat nothing from the water either. Nothing yeah. from the water. Oh, I love give get. Well, neither, neither does Phil. Ironically, eh. you're a Boston Bostonian is not a seafood person, man. Eh. That's like that's like <laughs> saying, oh yeah, I'm a Texan. I'm not a big fan of barbecue though. Really doesn't. <laughs> Doesn't 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 twitch my nerves. Okay, where you guys live, do you have a Brazilian steakhouses? 
the oh. brazaz, a little brazaz, oh. Brazilian steakhouse. Sure. So Dude. I, I, um, my in-laws are in town, uh, and so they watched the baby last night. Though with the baby, they watched the four-year-old last night, and uh, I took my wife. She'll out. always be her baby. So always, she'll all, she will always be my baby. Um, uh, and so I took my wife out for a little date night, and I took her to this little place, this Brasa de Cante kind of place, which is a, like the Brazilian steakhouse, man. Sure. Oh my god, it's Damn, a serious. I want to go to like, a Brazilian show, steakhouse. Show up hunger. Uh-huh. Dude, I, I like. I mean, and you know, we 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 roamed the salad bar. Like, mm, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's a waste. Don't well, it, it's a waste. Oh, but then I, I saw. Well, then I saw they had some smoked salmon and some like some carpaccio, and I'm like, oh, I'll grab a little bit of that because that's expensive and it's worth me eating. And and so I got some of that and I ate it. And and the guy comes in, he's like, well, can I get you some plantains or mashed potatoes or rice and beans? And we oh, both look plantains. at him and we're like, we're like, no. They, they do the deep fried banana for you too. Oh yeah, yeah, that yeah. And he, yeah, he, and, he, and he's like, he's like, can I get you some more? Like, no. How about some cheese bread? Yeah, we'll take some cheese bread. Sure. And and he he came back like twice, and he's like, can I get you some mashed potatoes or something? Like, we're like, no, 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 no. Don't just bring on a mash. Bring, I love me some mashed potatoes. Just just bring bring the guys by with the skewers, man. And <laughs> and when the when I, I took I took a little bit of meat here, a little bit of meat there, and I was waiting, and finally one guy with the skewer comes around. He's like, we have filet mignon wrapped in bacon. I'm like, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like, and so these little, these, these little filet medallions wrapped in bacon. And I'm like, yeah. And so he puts a little one on my plate and I'm like, I'll take two more. And he, and he just kind of looks at me and I'm like, what? You can do it now or when you come back around again, what? And he, don't wait. And he, so he slides three total onto my plate and my wife's like, I'll take two. And he puts two. On, oh yeah. Oh, send yeah. them back. Send that sword back to get refilled. Yeah. I, I, I'm gnawing my fingers right now. And the, that is so good, dude. And the joint, the, this joint had some live music, and there's there's a little stage, and there's this guy who actually owns a guitar shop in a little town nearby. And basically, because for because he can, and because he's a semi decent guitarist, he comes and just it's nothing but him and a, and an acoustic, um, you know, t- just taking requests and doing all kinds of stuff. And he's got four guitars up on stage, a Gibson, and three Taylors. Okay, and if you know anything about guitars, maybe you don't. Um, no, yeah. no, I, I know enough to know that that's wow. I mean, I mean, he probably had about maybe fifteen or twenty grand sitting on that stage, yeah. and and it just, it, dude, it was just, it was great. It was freaking awesome. My dad has, I think it's a '64 uh, Fender Strat original paintstone oh. that he bought for like I don't know, one hundred and fifty dollars when he was fifteen. Well, if you know, if he ever needs to send a grandkid to college, Jesus. Nope. Nope, he doesn't. He's good. Uh, <laughs> sure doesn't. Uh, no, but my dad and two of my uncles were in a, a band before I was born called uh, Pentwater, a progressive rock band. And uh, at their peak, as big as they got, uh, they opened for Rush and Journey, like in the seventies. Wow. Dude. Yeah, that was that was their big thing. Two two of my uncles and and my dad. My dad was. I think he had stepped away from playing the music with them and uh, um, he was managing or he was more on that side of it, I think, by that time. But yeah, I, my whole life, my dad's been in like some sort of band or whatever. I have, I'm adopted. I have zero musical talent whatsoever, but uh, but I've grown up around it all the time. I was always, I'm taller than everyone else in my family by a lot, certainly then, uh, you know, in my early teen years. So I was the roadie. I was always moving <laughs> Uh, guitars and being told, you know, don't bump that. It's expensive. It's a 64 Fender Stratocaster with original paint. 
But uh, <laughs> so, you know, I had to move that around, lug all the amps around because, you know, they're 40 year old guys and I'm 15 or whatever. So it's like, congratulations, mm. you're moving everything. And, you know, as a bonus, you get to sit in a bar for three hours and not drink. <laughs> fun. Which, not that I, you know, I was a very good kid at that age. It's not really on the docket for me anyway, but. Still. Yeah. Still. Yeah, that it's one of, the, it's one of those things. That was most of my childhood. That wasn't spent at the gaming table. It's one of those things. Now, right. the, thing, the thing about the pizza, man, one thing, the one thing New York has, I love them both, but one thing New York has for me over Chicago is I'm a breakfast pizza kind of guy. Okay. Like, like, my leftovers become breakfast for me. And sure. I'll fry an egg and throw it on top of a slice of cold pizza, and that's like the greatest breakfast since college ever. Mm-hmm. It is really Sorry. hard. It is really hard to quickly and successfully reheat Chicago style pizza. Yeah, um, um, toaster oven. Toaster oven is definitely like, the way to go. Like or I said, it, like, oven. like I said, it's really hard to quickly and easily. <laughs> you're not you're not doing it in the microwave. I agree. I yeah, agree. it's not so, even in the microwave. So uh, there is that. Not well. But, the, but you're talking about Chicago deep dish style pizza. I am. We do have amazing thin crust pizza here as well. It's just what we're known for is the deep dish. Is, I'll be honest with you. Know. You go into any random Chicago household on, on pizza night, they, they didn't order deep dish. They ordered regular pizza. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha, gotcha. It's, like, it's a special thing. It's a tourist thing, a lot of it. But not, every, not everybody's ordering a deep dish all day. My wife. The, the sauce on the top and... My, down the streets. Yeah, my wife is also a pizza for breakfast kind of gal, and uh, that's like that's the easy breakfast in bed, man. If we have leftover pizza, I'll surprise her with breakfast in bed and get major brownie points. But all I had to do was reheat some pizza. That's um, not that's not bad. It's not it's not bad. I was I was I was reading. I saw a meta picture post not too long ago. It's like, look, I don't want complaints if I'm making you in breakfast in bed. You should be grateful. None of this. How did you get in my house? Yeah. Business. <laughs> I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, well, gentlemen, it is twelve thirty-seven where I am. Bah. bah! I know, I know. All right. Yeah, I probably need to sign off too. I got to encode this monster of a show. I have like six hours of editing and writing ahead of me. I'm excited. Well, aren't you just right on chippa? Hey, that is well. That's the bartender schedule, guys. I don't know what to tell you. I go to bed at six, seven in the morning. And you know what's cool about three in the morning? if you're writing is that uh, you're not really going to get uh, much in the way of random text messages or Facebook messages <laughs> or whatever. And any of them that you are getting at three in the morning, you might stop writing to address that at three in the morning. That's so, yeah. This is entirely true. Um, so, you know, uh, that, that tends to be when I actually get stuff done is right around 10 PM to midnight is when I'll start. And then I'll give up around six in the morning when I can't <laughs> see straight anymore. Good God. But the, I mean, I get, to, I get, I don't have to wake up until like noon or whatever. I don't have to wake up at noon. I can probably sleep till six or seven p.m. if I want. But uh, <laughs> I just I choose to get up around noon. So I feel like sure. seeing the sun every once in a while is important. <laughs> oh yeah, um, there is something we're orbiting. Okay, cool. Yeah, right, right. There. right. I'm sun. not in a like sealed off space station capsule. <clears throat> I could be anywhere. Dude, well, I'll let you go so that you can eventually see the sun. Keith, thank you again. Yeah, no problem, guys. Dude, it was fun. A lot of fun. Gamer Nation, good night. <laughs>